We got a solid crew here. Uh, I am Christian CK Snarks. I'm here with my co-host uh, Brandon Brand BTC. Uh, we have a solid crew here. Going to be talking about uh, what is happening in the world from a macro perspective. It seems like there are uh, reemergence of fears around coronavirus after fears had been uh, kind of you know fading away. Uh, you know, states are shutting down again. Not sure exactly what's happening internationally. Uh, I don't think we have anyone international on this call right now. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be international. Oh yeah, Lewis, you're here. I mean, yeah. but I think you're in the U.S., right? Yeah, I'm in U.S., but um, no, I'm not a citizen. All right, all right, all right. But so we can we can talk yeah. about uh, Hong Kong and and other stuff in Asia. But uh, in general, excited to have this crew. We're gonna start off with some intros. Uh, the person on my right here is David uh, from CryptoTrader.Tax. Welcome to DIQ. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Cool. Well, thanks uh, for doing it, Christian. Uh, so my name is David Kemmer, and I uh, co-founded CryptoTrader.Tax, which simply put is like TurboTax for cryptocurrency investors. So we have a software platform that helps people file their cryptocurrency capital gains and losses, the fun, exciting world of taxes. But it's relevant for us because with the uh, the July 15th deadline here now, just a week away, we're in the most busy time of the year for us. Well, thank you for taking some time to, uh, to join this. Uh, I know a lot of accountants drink a beer at the end of the night, so maybe this is fitting to a, to a hectic yeah. day. Uh, exactly. Let's go. Let's go to uh, to Guy Swan. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? What is up? I'm Guy Swan, host of Bitcoin Audible. Uh, you know, read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. <laughs> and um, yeah, just doing the uh, podcast thing. I've been loving it. Been doing that for actually, I think I just crossed three years. Um, uh, but. Yeah, the the rebrand from the crypto economy. So if anybody if anybody knew it from then and didn't know the Bitcoin Audible is the new name, and I just did an awesome piece uh, by Breedlove, uh, Masters and Slaves of Money. Um, God, it was absolute fire. I love Breedlove killed it again with that article, um, and uh, had a pretty good solid like forty minute rant or something like that after that piece. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of great stuff. Love Thank it. Big fan. Uh, Bitcoin Audible is a resource, and I'm excited to listen to Breed Love's piece. Let's go to Justine. Welcome to Drinks in Quarantine. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Justine. I'm Miss Hoddle on Twitter. I am a Bitcoiner. I ship post on Twitter. I push buttons, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of self-sovereignty and everything that goes with it. So I'm just here for the party. Cool. Let's go to Phil. Nice shirt. Thank you. What's up, everyone? I'm Phil Geiger. I'm the director of product marketing at Unchained Capital. We're your one-stop shop for Bitcoin native financial services, which means we use collaborative multi-signature to protect your Bitcoin. You get to hold a key. You get to take a loan out on your Bitcoin. You get to secure your Bitcoin in multi-sig for the long term. And you might even be able to buy some Bitcoin directly into cold storage. Check us out. Glad to be here. Cheers. 
Awesome, awesome. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Ria, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Hey, everyone. My name is Ria. Um, I lead our research efforts at Fidelity Digital Assets. Um, I joined them last October, and before that, I spent some time at Circle, building out Circle Research. Um, and my, my history is in fintech and payments, and that's kind of how I got into the crypto space. Um, at Fidelity Digital Assets, we provide custody and trade execution services for institutional clients. Um, so yeah, helping, you know, doing my role in helping expand institutional adoption of Bitcoin. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on and good to meet you. I've been following you on Twitter for some time. So awesome to have you on the on the panel. Uh, let's go to Adam Meister. Adam, I've been on your show many, many times. Uh, you are one of the persons that helped me break into the, the Bitcoin space. So uh, really appreciate you. Why don't you introduce yourself and welcome on to, uh, to my show, Drinks in Quarantine. Hello, everyone. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Pound that like button. You know, Christian, I say I have a YouTube channel. Look it up, Bitcoin Meister, DisruptMeister.com. But Christian, if you go into my archives, January, whatever day that conference was, January 12th, 2018, it's your first appearance being a crypto person of note out there. We, we filmed at the actual conference. It's, it's still on my site. I should send it to you. If all the world wants to see the first time you were ever uh, putting yourself out there when we were at that event in San Francisco. So yes, history between us. And it's great to be on your show and pound that like button. Yeah, pound that like button. And last but not least, let's get to Lewis. How's it going, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, CK. Nice to be here. Yep. Um, so like, like you say, um, I founded uh, Mibis Capital recently. Um, it's a family offices where, um, so we focus on, you know, investing in Bitcoin and uh, in Bitcoin company as well. Uh, we have dedicated strategy built within. Uh, we only support um, Bitcoin related business and, uh, you know, only underlying assets. Um, and we do have some equity strategy and, uh, you know, uh, we are a big fan of uh, collecting arts. Uh, that's part of my uh, family history background. Um, try, try to keep this preserved. Awesome. Hey Adam, real quick, did you uh, uh, did you get your YouTube channel back up, or is that your new YouTube? channel? Oh no, my YouTube channel is back. I, okay, good. I, uh, just checking. I was, just checking. I was able to use some connections within YouTube. When, uh, it, unfortunately, I had to find someone in YouTube. It was a grueling process. I was taken down for no reason, but YouTubers were used to this. Well, I'm very happy to hear. Yeah, you can't deplatform the Disrupt Meister. No, I can't. I can't be. I can't be stopped. I'm a wild, I'm a unique beast. I'm a wild animal. How terrible is it that you have to know someone at YouTube or at Twitter or whatever to get your account unfrozen if for whatever reason they decide to uh, to take it away? I think it's kind of crazy. Yep. Yep. One hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing around there. If you go through the proper channels, in theory, you can get it back. But uh, if you just find something. I can't even detail the whole process because it was it was so uh, insider information. I, I don't want to lose the contact. So if anyone ever has a problem with that, get in touch with me, though. I'll help you. He's got he's got the inside scoop. Yeah, <laughs> now I do. <laughs> All right, guys. So the uh, effect for social media. 
Well, it's all about becoming uh, a little anti-fragile. You got to own your media. Uh, so we had a question to kind of start this off, uh, seeing as though uh, kind of lockdown scares are reemerging. Uh, what would you say is the normal activity that you miss the most? Let's start with Ria. What normal activity do you miss the most? I miss going to concerts. I love going to shows. I would try and go to a show at least every month, um, if not more, if, if possible. I definitely miss that the most. Yeah, I miss concerts. And I'm, I'm scared that it's just like not going to be possible Ever anymore. Be- feasible anymore yeah i know i've seen like some videos showing socially distanced distanced concerts where like you have a little circle and you just dance in alone um but that's not the same like a silent concert everyone has the headphones on the silent discos (laughs) i don't know about it how about you adam well nothing has changed in my life at all I refuse to comply to any of this. I have been defiant the entire time. Uh, I, I spit. I spit upon these That's rules. That's not shocking. It's it, this. Is, <laughs> this entire situation has been a disgrace to mankind. What I miss is when my family acted normal. Uh, some of them have have become worried because of this, and, and God willing, um, we'll be able to all be together on Rosh Hashanah, and everything will be fine in their heads again. That's that's what I miss. I. I didn't like that I couldn't have Passover with my family. That 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 wasn't normal at all. So, but otherwise, now my life is the same. Anyone else want to want to go at what they miss? Movie theaters. I miss going to the movies and going out to eat. But we actually have been doing that recently. It's just like all, like half the tables are marked off and stuff. But uh, a lot of them have actually. Uh, uh, slowly started to open back up around here um which is great because there were hardly anybody there so you get awesome service uh but basically our favorite restaurant has been shut down for good like they're just out of business um and obviously movie theaters we have got like a bunch in the area um it looks like a couple of them won't be opening back up um i'm i've still got hopes on my favorite one sticks around uh but yeah yeah that i'd add concerts too but i don't go to them often enough for it to be affected actually i did miss an ajr concert i take that back we got one canceled on us that was sad uh so we had our last panelist just joined right now alessandro dialing in from venezuela welcome to the show how's it going why don't you introduce yourself Thank you very much, CK. Uh, I'm sorry for being late. I was actually dealing with some coughs because of the lack the lockdown. Uh, the lockdown has actually got pretty heavy this week inside Venezuela. Uh, didn't see it so heavy before. Uh, so yeah, but dealt with that. El Sultan deals even with cops inside Venezuela. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I, I think some of you guys might already know this. I'm the CEO of Coinspree.com. And one of the founders, uh, Coinspree is one of the leading uh, companies inside South America uh, to foster Bitcoin full node inclusion, adoption, and awareness. Uh, we are also one of the leading companies when uh, talking about uh, institutional custodian solutions. So, for instance, we integrate uh, like Caravan uh, on-chain capital protocol Uh to create multi-signature accounts to our, our clientele for them to deposit Bitcoins for the long term. 
Uh, I've also ran some concepts uh, using uh, our Pandora box, Bitcoin full notes inside the most entrepreneurial college, uh, Venezuela, my college, Universidad Metropolitana. And yeah, I, we took the time, this, I took the time this past, this past month to shine out some light from Venezuela for the whole global Bitcoin industry and just start spreading the word for what it is that Coinspree.com is achieving inside Bitcoin Suela, as we call it inside Coinspree, uh, <laughs> and continue just foster, fostering Bitcoin education overall and, some very, and creating some very interesting use cases and adoptions uh, for real Bitcoin decentralized use cases. Thank you very much. Yeah, man, and uh, very, very thorough intro. Really excited to have your insights on, on this call. All right, um, unless anyone has a really strong uh, urge to, to chime into that opening question, I think we can jump to the rules. Yeah, so that's okay? All right. So, uh, drinks in quarantine is a drinking game, so uh, whether you're drinking water or drinking White Claw or scotch, uh, we have some rules. If you say any of these words... Uh, you need to drink yourself. So the three words are you can't say home, you can't say Bitcoin, and you can't say drink. So if you say home, Bitcoin, or drink throughout this call, uh, you're drinking. So I'll drink to that. <laughs> I'm, I'll drink, I'm I'll so drink to that as well. So Max, yeah, what are we going to be talking great. about on this on this podcast? <laughs> well, the whole point is to <laughs> about just how we use Bitcoin while we're stuck at home. <laughs> Guys, BTC. <laughs> Yeah, you can call it the corn. You can figure something out. It's time to get creative. Get creative in your pod. CK, right. I'm watching this video of you and Adam right now. It's, it's great. You don't know what to do with your hands. It's fantastic. <laughs> oh, man. All right, I'm going to have to check that out later. Um, all right, guys. So what? wait, what is everyone drinking, by the way? Okay, I'll start. I'm drinking some nice uh, Venezuelan rum uh, that my father does himself. It's a very special kind of rum inside Venezuela, actually. Yeah, it's like 15 years old plus. Wow, that's amazing. Well, Damn. Thank you for... Don't do Bitcoin. <laughs> thank you for bringing out the here. big guns. <laughs> I feel so inadequate. I feel great. I know, I was going to say, I feel really inadequate with my cider, <laughs> but I'm going to wait for CK to get his white claw, and then I'll feel better about it again. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just make sure you go after him, and then you're good. Exactly. <laughs> Got a uh, American honey uh, whiskey bourbon, good stuff. Nice, nice. All Drinking right. the uh, Rupture Fresh Fresh Ground IPA. Oh baby, by Odell. Going hard with yeah. the hops. Micro brews. Cool guys. All right, well let's let's jump into our first segment. So the first segment is bearish or bullish. So. Uh, we have three topics here. We're going to jump into them and then uh, call on each of you to give your take on why you are bearish or bullish. So the first one is facts slash good data. And let's jump in, jump into this with Phil. How do you, like, are you bearish or bullish on facts slash good data? Wow. Uh, I'm bullish on uh, the Bitcoin blockchain drink. <laughs> um that that data After a good is, start right that data is is pretty immutable i can trust it you know i run it at home on my computer a lot of the other data i see out there it it's difficult to parse i mean you know there's lies damn lies and statistics right 
So I don't know what to believe anymore. Um, I'm just stacking sats, staying quarantined and trying to, trying to wait this one out. I guess I'm bearish on data, on data overall. Sounds like it. David, do you want to jump in? So what, what do you mean? Like facts and data just as they exist, just, I mean, we're all like, for example, like cases are going up, but it's, there seems to be yeah. a lot of discrepancy on like, you know, regardless so regarding coronavirus. I mean, sure. Oh, but in general, <laughs> I mean, I would in say general, like, you know, people yeah. just, you know, plugging in facts and data. I mean, there's fake news, you know, four years ago, yeah. with the political election, like, what are your thoughts on this moving forward? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now I, I understand the context. Um, bearish or bullish? No, I'm very bearish on the data. I think just like the media is going to manipulate it and whatever is going to get them the most clicks. And more often than not, that's bad negative news, right? Just drive so much clicks, gets their revenues up. And so I don't watch any news, honestly. I, I just, I hate it. Can't stand it. And so I'd say bearish on facts and data that's pumped out by media companies who are literally profit incentivized to just get as many clicks as possible. Are other people going to come up with better data? Someone going to fill the void? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Yes. Hopefully. Yes. Adam, you want to jump in? Yeah. I think the, the mainstream media obviously is into the hysteria of it all. They've been doing really well spreading the hysteria. Uh, but there are sources online. Uh, on Twitter, there are plenty of smart people that have done their own research, that have gone into their numbers, gone into the numbers themselves. Uh, the number that's, I, I think, I'm, I'm bullish. You know, the number of cases increasing, that's not, that's not a negative. That's, it's, it, everyone's going to get it eventually. Everyone's going to get it eventually. What we should be looking at is the death rate. The and are the hospitals about to be overwhelmed? And the hospitals are not about to be overwhelmed, even when the, the mainstream media say they are, because then the, the hospital representatives say, no, we're not. We're usually at a 95% capacity. So, I mean, the whole point of shutting down the world, was, or the United States at least, was not to overwhelm the hospital system. And for some reason, people have forgotten that. People have, have totally forgotten that. Um, in, in, the, in the realm of BTC, I, I want to add something in terms of facts and, and numbers, because I thought you were asking about that also. Uh, it, I, I'm bullish on uh, some really smart people giving out statistics with Bitcoin, but boom, uh, <laughs> I said the word, didn't I? And, but but I, I got to say, there are more so than ever, just like in the mainstream world, we, we have lots of people saying all sorts of uh, BTC-related FUD. It is uh, just just not understanding the numbers, putting scary numbers out there. I mean, a lot of it's recycled from the past in, in, in the crypto space, but uh, so I'm- What I'm, do you mean by scary numbers regarding uh, crypto? Like what kind of FUD are you talking about? In, specifically uh, with, uh, well, uh, the, the, uh, well, with the halving, uh, the, uh, the, <laughs> the mining death spiral, uh, that uh, it, sometimes these uh, statistical analysis that say, you know, it's, it's, if it goes below a certain number, it's, it's going straight down to 6,000. I mean, how many times have we heard this? It's going straight down to, or it hasn't hit 1,000 yet. Uh, and it, it seems like we've heard this many times. There's, a, there's, other, uh, there's other ones I could think of too, if you give me some time. 
but uh, like, Craig Wright, like Craig Wright, like Craig Wright. I should be a drinking role. We well, yeah. Well, him, him giving his <laughs> his. We bring him up. The, you got to drink no matter what. The, the the numbers that he gives up are all based on dates. Like on this date, I'm going to reveal, you know, that I have a mil a million of them. And then the date passes and no one holds it. No one cares. Everybody forgets it. So some people that spout these big numbers, they get away with it over and over again because no one ever calls them out, whether it be a date that everything's going to blow up on or, you know, it, it's going to be a thousand dollars. No one ever. And they just it comes back again. Yeah, that's an ancient marketing tactic. Um, and it's been used uh, by governments and uh, propaganda for ages and ages of just like always holding the carrot like just too far out um so you set a deadline and then as you approach the deadline you just kind of change the narrative and you push you, you push the carrot further and you just you just string everyone along who's only interested in seeking out that deadline which is the vast majority of people um but uh back to the the actual question um was i'm i'm bullish on like the data I'm bullish on the the fact that on the actual facts and um, actually getting good analysis out there. I am bearish on its dissemination. I think we have better information than we've ever had, but what gets clicked on and shared and spread is like the lowest common denominator of stupid. And and, and I see this over and over and over again. Like, like I've only seen a handful, like, like two or three people who really got down in the dirty, like with the number of cases and recognized that the whole chart is nonsense because we started, we're measuring the number of tests we do. Like the actual virus started back in September and November of 2019. And we've known this for a very long time, but our chart starts in like March. So that was the first case that for five months, nobody got on a plane and came to the US. What we were measuring is how quickly we were testing people. And then of course, uh, in this recent spike, um, and I just I just found this the other day and I haven't really dug into it. I just kind of ignore it for the most part because I think most of it is hysteria. It's the it's that lowest common denominator mechanism at work. Um, but uh, with this recent surge, they've changed the rules about what a case is. And uh, there was actually an article when the new rules were established that said we're going to see like a 6x increase in the number of cases because now a case is defined as anybody who had really close contact with a positive result. And I'm like, like if it's, it's like trying to measure CPI and they change the rules every 10 years, of course, you're going to get different numbers if you change the rules. Um, and if you actually look at deaths, we haven't seen the increase. Well, that's because they changed the rules as to what a case was. So if you put data that's under, uh, that's measured one way on the same chart as data that's measured under a different, completely different set of rules, you, your chart doesn't mean anything. And not to mention that, of course, the cases didn't start in March. The cases didn't start when we started testing. So even the whole curve is like, we're not measuring anything. We won't know what the hell happened for three years, period. Like we just won't, but we're freaking out based on data from two days ago which is just inherently nonsense. Um, like the trying to aggregate and make sense of it is just ridiculous. It's this is, this will be 
I think looking back, this will be one of the most profound and fascinating uh, experiments in social media propagation of information. That is what I think we are looking at. We're not looking at a viral phenomenon. If you look at the whole history of viruses, this is really silly in the whole case of, I mean, obviously it's a virus. Obviously there's a disease and that's terrible, but we've got a million of those. I think the unique thing here is that we're in an environment of communication that is unlike anything we've ever had before. And I think that's what we will look back on and be like, holy crap, look at how it changed as what we saw with data, what it looked like, what we thought we knew, what we, what we didn't know. I think that's the interesting story here. I, I really think the virus is just, it exists, you know, and it's something we got to account for. But I think the reaction is, a, is one of social media and stuff. I'll take a different angle because you kind of posed an open question around data, uh, facts, and information. I think from the perspective of the crypto space, we've come really far in sharing and having access and, and, and increasing accessibility, accessibility to good information and data. Like when I joined the space back in or started looking at the space like back in 2016, you know, the only thing that I knew about and that anybody was talking about at that point was coin market cap. Like over the past year, two years, we've seen such a massive explosion in the number of data providers that are, you know, analyzing the data and presenting it in a digestible form and the number of research analysts that are focusing focused on this space um, and are, you know, interpreting that data to make it more legitimized. Um, so I'm bullish on crypto data and facts. Yeah, I think that's a really great uh, perspective there too. Uh, you know, I'm curious too, uh, Rhea, you have to work with data quite a lot uh, on the Fidelity digital asset side. Uh, uh, when you're seeing kind of the evolution of, of data in, in kind of the, the Bitcoin and crypto space, uh, like, how much more do you interact with it? Like how much more do you rely on it today versus, you know, two years ago? And, and how has that kind of changed? And is this a more data-driven kind of sector now? Or, or you know, uh, how has the evolution looked? I think I definitely interact with it more now just because I have, like, it's so much easier to get access to good, clean data um, in one place versus, like I used to put together these really long um, quarterly reports on the crypto space. And I remember I would like reach out to 15, 20 different data providers to, you know, give me all the information for this one report. More and more, you know, I feel like the offerings have become a lot more comprehensive. Um, some of the metrics that have come out of analyses over the past few years, like it's it actually gives you signal as to, you know, what the market might do, like the development of, I'll just sort of like realize cap by coin metrics, MBRV, NBTS, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it, there's still a lot of caveats and I don't think we can solely rely on that yet. Um, and, and that's, I think, one of the biggest barriers to institutional adoption is the fact that they they feel like they still don't have like an accurate way of valuing these assets, but I think we're getting closer and closer. You pay for that data when you're a report from the data companies? Yeah, um, I didn't use to, but 
now we do have a paid offering, um, but I also still use like a lot of free data companies. Mm -hmm. Rhea, what are some of the metrics that you pay closest attention to? I really like RealizeCap, like I mentioned. Um, I also love looking at addresses and like, I think it's really cool that you can get insight into specific address bands. So like the number of addresses holding less than 0.01 Bitcoin, the number of addresses holding between like one and 10, like the number of addresses holding over 1K Bitcoin. I think Glassnode Wales. has a really cool. Yeah. Also, yeah. You, you said one of the words. Oh no. Oh yeah. Oh, you got a drink. Drink. <laughs> Cheers. You guys all just said another word. <laughs> oh no. Uh, you have to consume the liquid. <laughs> um, so yeah, I look at stuff like that. I love the what fills about, are What about everyone here. else? What, what are everyone's favorite metrics? Realize I was cap. looking. I was looking for the the is realize cap a, a decent um. I guess you could say substitute to the volume weighted market capitalization. Um, do you like what would you think is is better there? Because I was looking at there was a report from. I, I don't know, like a three or three months ago, four months ago, something like that of uh, Bitcoin's volume weighted uh, market capitalization was like 92% of the whole market. Um, and uh, obviously that's fluctuated, yeah, like, and I'm sure. Versus like just Bef market cap. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah, as opposed to the market dominance cap, yeah. I think realized cap, like if you took the realized cap of the top 100 crypto assets, I think it would give you like a similar number for Bitcoin. I'm not sure. Gotcha. It, it weighs it in a similar fashion for like, it, it at least mitigates the whole, I sold one crap coin token for $1 and there's a 20 million supply. Therefore I've got a $20 million market cap kind of thing. Yeah. Um, okay. I couldn't find, I, I was surprised I couldn't find a chart because I assumed that it was just going to be, I assumed I was just going to be able to type that into Google and like find volume. a source. Yeah. Like a volume weighted. Um, but, uh, the chart on that. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't able to find one. Time. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Rhea, so, asked, Rhea asked about what FUD number that I was talking about beforehand. You, when they give the statistics about the, how many uh, Bitcoin whales they are and what percentage of all the Bitcoin is controlled by whales, it's interesting information. I don't know the exact numbers, but the FUD that is spread around good numbers like that, it's legitimate numbers like, oh, it's too few people that uh, control a, a bunch of Bitcoin and that's why Bitcoin is horrible because it's only in the hands of a few. Like that, that type of number twisting, uh, that, that's what Stop I selling number FUD. Yeah, so, the Coinbase uh, goes off every time Bitcoin pumps or dumps five hundred dollars. Ria, I've got a, an interesting stat that I kind of keep track of, and then I also want to toss this over to Lewis, who we haven't heard from, and Justine as well. Uh, uh, the thing that I like to pay attention to is kind of random, uh, and it's hard to quantify, but the Twitter market uh, kind of thoughts and and sentiment. Uh, I think is really interesting. I, I've got a today apparently on Twitter. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, like just uh, on, I, I thought it was trending. Yeah, I didn't see that. Uh, but so you should an follow interesting Bitcoin thing magazine because that... we tweeted yeah. it out. 
Oh yeah. Well, uh, uh, I definitely knew that then. Uh, but no, so one of the things that we've been kicking around in our office, uh, was that we, we did the Bitcoin 2019 conference, uh, and then similar we're, we're doing Bitcoin 2021. There's the plug. Uh, but the, uh, during the, the run-up, you said the B word like three times. <laughs> I'll drink a lot after this. Uh, but during the run-up to the conference, uh, we actually uh, saw the Bitcoin price also run up, uh, and there was kind of all sorts of. I know this is a lot. I'm just gonna keep going for it though. Uh, uh, also, I'm at my house. I'm I'm home. Uh, anyways, uh, we saw this huge run-up, and it peaked on the first or second day of the conference. And that was kind of the, the peak bubble of the 2019 bubble. And that was like all sorts of people tweeting about it, all sorts of kind of fun market sentiment going on. So we've been tossing around the idea in our, our back pocket kind of, of, you know, how many of these trading bots are just putting a number behind market sentiment and, and trading off of that. And how much does Bitcoin kind of move when it comes to that sort of sentiment analysis? So do you guys yeah. know the tie? They they have great sentiment data on crypto. Um, the tie. They've done a really good job of like quantifying it. Yeah. What's the website called? I. I think it's the tie dot io. Not mistaken. Like T I E. Yeah. Literally never heard of it, but I'm looking it up. Yeah, I've got a friend actually who's been working on something. Uh, who's part of the Raleigh Meetup podcast. Um, and, uh, he's been building something that crawls and does a lot of sentiment and like, uh, crawls a couple forums, I think too, um, a bunch of different areas and tries to quantify all of that information, which I got to see a, uh, early, uh, version of it. Um, I haven't, I haven't played with it in just in, in a little bit, but, um, uh, it looked really interesting and I'm, I'm sure that's a really valuable piece of information for a lot of people. I, I want to jump to Lewis. Lewis, what are your thoughts on this topic? Bearish or bullish on facts and or good data? Uh, so um, I think a couple perspective here. Um, I think the COVID-19 thing, let's start from there. Um, I, I, I'm glad to see the death rates dropping down. I was so nervous when I first heard the case during the, um, December. Um, I have contact in China. So um, it's kind of like, already some fought around the disease, uh, the virus. Um, but I'm glad, you know, this has been kind of like dropping down in terms of death rate, um, but the case is increasing. Um, definitely, I agree with Guy here, it's just like government manipulating the data, government, you know, try to show the data for you that the case is increasing, but never try to realize that the death rate is going down. And you see the, um, the Bloomberg news, uh, I think, couple of days ago saying that we shouldn't celebrate the, the lower death rate, right? That's like- We should, yes, we should. That's we what should, we care about. Right? We should, <laughs> um, So I think this become, I mean, as time goes on, people will just tire of how the mainstream media portray this. Uh, and they, they, they won't give a fuck and just go out, you know, party and something. I think we will, we will try to get back to normal, uh, but government try to stop that. Um, yeah, I mean, we are waiting for some vaccine, but that vaccine is kind of like, you know, you have to um, wait until next year, maybe first quarter. Um, you know, I think this thing it really becomes a tool for um, centralized government, especially, I would say, uh, the Communist Party in China. Um, the, the thing they show you, right, they, they have to show you the transparent data. 
and we're still trusting the Chinese Communist Party about the decree, right? They definitely have much people dying there. Um, but the thing is, you never see the actual data. And what we hear, what, what we hear at the moment right now is that uh, we never get to the original data. Um, so um, for government manipulate, you know, discount data, I feel are very, very bearish. I think this would be something um, the government will always use uh, to manipulate kind of like the market sentiment. Even now, if you see a second wave keep, you know, keep popping up in the mainstream media, um, just, um, you know, just scared of the investor, right? Um, just to see there's, there might be the recession coming, there might be second wave coming. Uh, but US, yeah, but in other places, you, you see small number going up, but that's because the testing is, is increasing, right? Um, so I think we really need to find where's the original data, right? That uh, the Chinese Communist Party can censor that out. Uh, without access to that data, I don't know how the Western world gonna fix this because we are all following uh, how the, the CCP is doing all this, right? The lockdown, the mask thing, and um, they demonstrate it and we follow. Uh, and that's the really terrible situation we get us in right now. Yeah, I've definitely so made I'm, that I mean, observation. I've made that observation. Yeah. I, I, I see like China doing stuff and then the rest of the world copying them and I just don't like that. Um, exactly. Let's, let's jump to Justine and then Alessandro and then we'll jump to our next topic. I mean, I think everybody kind of touched on what I would say. I, I agree with both um, Phil and Guy here that like the data is it, it's data, right? Like it is what it is. It's the numbers. It's how it's being interpreted. And I think that we have such a ridiculous war on misinformation right now that it's like it seriously blows my mind. And I'm someone who is fully aware that the war on with information has been ongoing for a long time. But I think right now it's just so it's insane right now. So the data itself, I think, is is bullish. Um, I think, as everybody said, like the cases are going up because there's more testing, but the death rate hasn't really reflected that it's um, as intense as they thought it would originally be. So on that, I'm I'm bullish. I'm bearish on the control aspect. I'm bearish on on what's being shared and what's not, and how it's being used to control so many people and cause so many divisions and just like. It's just insane. I think Guy said it perfectly. Like in a few years, we won't be looking at this as a virus. We will be looking at this as how social aspects played into this and caused so much um, hysteria and panic and like people giving up their rights without even thinking twice about it due to whatever information was being shared. Um, so I don't know. I think I'm a mix. I mean, the data, I, I, it is what it is. I think it's the interpretation of it that I am very, very uh, bearish on for sure. So that's my turn, right? <laughs> uh, who here knows that I come from Venezuela? <laughs> uh, look, for the past, I think, yeah, for the past four, four years, it was four years ago when I deleted all of my social media accounts, everything, okay? Twitter that I had from 2008, Facebook, Instagram, everything, okay? I became a, like a ghost for the system, literally. The perfect Bitcoiner. <laughs> so uh it's today uh after those four years that i reopened my instagram and that i reopened my twitter and created the el solta bitcoin and twitter everything they're starting getting back uh receiving that flow of information right 
I don't follow anything related to governments, not even in my country, because I am just so disgusted with what government control means by coming from Venezuela, okay, for the past 27 years, all of my life. So I am very bearish coming from Venezuela on data and manipulation of data overall coming from governments. Uh, I'm going to be pretty honest with you. Uh, it, it, it does even scare me uh, a lot. Not, not like it used to two or three years ago, I, I'd say, uh, that people globally don't expect uh, governments, like, for example, the United States, right, to control so much data or to control so much the system. But then you see that you just see the reality, okay? The Fed printing money and giving that money only to Berkshire Hathaway and Amazon and Apple and whoever is in that list, okay? So I'm there. I'm bearish in that. Um, I'm, I'm I'm bullish on the facts because, uh, for example, the other day I was uh, look. I see really Bitcoin as hope, and I don't want to say this uh, as a bullshitter, okay? Bitcoin is literally saving my family. Uh, the other day I was yesterday, actually, I was hearing to the episode of Randy Brito, the other badass Bitcoiner from Venezuela, the one that is building these, uh, offline, uh, communications, uh, for Bitcoin usage and also internet usage now with their new device. Uh, it's actually being pre, it has a pre-order on their website. You, you should buy one of those just to support La lucha por la locha. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm very bullish on what is happening inside Venezuela uh, uh, thanks to Bitcoin because uh, the ones that we are working here for Bitcoin and doing that, we just don't care about anything, okay? We don't care about anything. I've, I've made total libertarian. I've went to the streets in my country as an, a political activist to defend my country against the Maduro regime. I've lost friends doing that, okay? I have friends that lost a hand doing that by my side. Uh, so I am very bullish on facts because even though Venezuela just became the smallest economy of South America today officially, and we have 2 million percent inflation, all of the data is controlled by the government. Everything is controlled by the government. Bitcoin is hope, and they can't go against Bitcoin. Uh, and I am seeing in real life, and I know that, I, that I'm this unique advocate of the industry that has this perspective. And I see it as a responsibility just to tell people. And it, to be honest, it was very hard because of, of this specific thing that we are talking about government control of information flow that I needed to be so careful for this past three years and sort of be inside my Batman cave and my office working without saying nothing to anyone, okay, with my team and that's it. And now thanks to that and talking bit by bit, I am even able to talk to you right now and not have been taken by the Venezuelan uh, police or the Suna Crip, which, which is the regulator of cryptocurrencies inside Venezuela or the Maduro regime, for instance, because that's how it works in Venezuela. And I think that is how it work inside the United States too, but people just don't expect that to happen. Uh, the U.S. is not Venezuela, okay? It's 330 million people. 
eventually it, it'll go hectic, I believe. People will continue going to the streets to defend what they want. Freedom of expression, freedom to go out, freedom to continue seeing your loved ones and freedom to continue building because it's insane. The reality is that the globe is on fire right now and everyone is just like us right now inside their home. That's it. So drink uh, for saying the H word. <laughs> um, th that was epic. Thank you very much for that. And I mean, uh, dude, you're in an insane environment. So uh, I, I really can't even relate because I'm so pampered and, and you know, living in royalty compared to having to, you know, deal with living under the Maduro regime. Uh, so again, thanks for coming on and thanks for what you do. Um, our next topic was supposed to be mainstream media, but... Um, I feel like maybe it'd be better to just, you know, go with uh, the what what Alessandro set set the the, you know, set the stage with is do people want freedom or are people because uh, I see a lot of people that, you know, want to be taken care of. Uh, I see a lot of people that are content, just, you know, whatever is coming out of the mainstream media, whatever's coming out from the top, uh, they're not going to question it. So I'm curious what people think. Like, do people actually want freedom in the U.S.? Uh, let's go to Guy on this. I think people want freedom when they're not scared. People want it when they're comfortable. Um, and they think they've got nothing to worry about. Um, and uh, political systems very skillfully use that against us. Um, and... Uh, but in the end, I think, uh, I think really like part of what technology does is it, it, it can begin to bifurcate that control. Um, and the, what's the word, the universality, the, the, the coherence, the cohesiveness of the narrative that's pushed, um, even social media with its massive limitations and obvious uh, manipulation, I think we're kind of watching, uh, like if you step back from this, like on a decades scale, I think we're watching the death of mainstream media um, because the ability to hold a single narrative has been really easy for a long time. Um, and now that's incredibly difficult to do. It's taking way, way more resources, more avenues. And basically you're seeing, you're also seeing the dumbing down of that narrative as they're trying to hold on to the kind of last bastions of control. Um, because again, you have to lower the denominator uh, to what everyone can click quickly. Um, like like the the devolution into uh, into clickbait, I think, is the loss of their credibility and the loss and the clear loss of their their status. Um, and journalism, in particular, is such a game of like respect and trust. And I think even the people who listen to it or, or buy into the narrative are realizing that that trust is gone. Um, uh, they just don't quite understand how to. Everybody's confused. Everybody's so confused. Everybody's so lost. And we're in this, I, I call it the, uh, I've been referring to it the couple times I've like really gotten into it. The great disillusionment is that we all believed a comfortable lie for a very, very long time. And now we're realizing that it's a lie. 
And now we have no idea what the hell to believe. So we're splitting into a thousand different directions and we're latching onto everything that we can possibly latch onto. And even the dumbest, most tiniest things are becoming huge political battles and things to, if you don't wear a mask, you're literally murdering somebody and I'm gonna beat the crap out of you just like to hate everybody over the tiniest thing because we're going through this huge collective identity crisis. We have no idea what's true. We have no idea what the narrative of the world is because it's just not there anymore. Um, and so I think this is, as much as it sucks, it feels like this natural process of self-discovery um, and it's going to take a long time to get across it. But in the end, people will, when those narratives break down, people go to what's safe. People, people try to find those totems. They retract. They go back to their local communities. They meet their friends or they meet their neighbors. This is something that I found hilarious is that I did not know any of my neighbors. And when all the protests blew up and all the COVID blew up, we had a a quarantine gathering in the neighborhood where we got like 15 people together and everybody sat six feet apart and we just introduced people I'd lived with for years. I had no idea who any of them were. Like I've met local neighbors because everybody's scared. Um, and I think Bitcoin is part of that move of when you don't know, when your, your vision of the world out there starts to break down, you come close to home. And then we have to start after we finally get some sort of a strong foundation again, we'll slowly start to build out from there. But I think it's a really, really long process. Who else has had a uh, like a quarantine hangout with their neighbors? Nope. One, Phil, two, Rhea. Okay. Well, my nice. neighbors are we we're a small town, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think it's sort of brought communities together in a way, which I think is great. I mean, honestly, I think that's one of the things that's wrong with society is nobody knows their neighbors. Everything's too big. Nothing's nothing's small and local anymore. So if anything, if that came out of it, then great. Um, yeah. But my neighbors are, yeah, I see them all the time. <laughs> so who, who wants to comment? Uh, question though, regarding the freedom question, because of course everyone on like the surface of that question, they're gonna be, they say, yes, I want freedom. Like I like freedom. But I think in this community, right? Where you have a lot of libertarian sentiments, um, you know, people live it more, right? Um, Cause like, I just think the same people who say, yes, I want the freedom are the same ones who, you know, just to be frank, are, are lazy. They just seek comfort and just, they want constantly everything to come easy to them you know, identity crisis that the world is going through right now, right? And the solution is not to let the government take care of you, right? That's, it's, it's just, it doesn't work. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's just, that's just a problem, right? Um, people who just want to seek comfort and they're just willing to kind of sacrifice freedoms in the hope that, yeah, I'll get $2,000 a month from the government from whatever is going on. But that, that doesn't lead to fulfillment, right? You, it's human nature to want to be comfortable, but you have to, it's like, you have to do the opposite to actually be happy and be fulfilled. Um, and I think that's, what's cool about the crypto and Bitcoin community is you have, you see a lot more of that sentiment, which is interesting. I think when it comes to, I think we're really, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I just want to say when it comes to choosing between freedom and ease of use, um, people will always choose ease of use, convenience, unless they've had some kind of experience where it's not worked in their favor, it's burned them. I mean, everyone, like David said, thinks that they want freedom. And Guy said, like, when it comes to actually deciding between freedom or convenience or ease of use, people don't generally choose freedom. I want to hear from Adam because the 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 convenient easy thing is to wear a mask and you know comply with the norm. Uh, what talk about you know what that like what it's like for you to not choose that? Well, I'm I've always been a unique beast, man. I'm, I'm an individual. I I'm not going with the flow. I've I don't want to specifically talk about the mask, but it the it being ordered by governments reminds me of like, you know, having a symbol that, that it, it reminds me of the yellow star to tell you the truth, but I, I don't want to get into that part of it, but I, I want to say in terms of freedom, in terms of freedom, we're living in this time of incredible abundance. Okay. And so people are spoiled. We're, we're living in a time where, where people are spoiled. And as long as they have stuff, as long as they have that big screen TV, that's freedom for them. They think that's freedom, having stuff. I have more stuff than my neighbor, okay? And then sometimes they might get a little envious of other people's stuff and they, they might start getting angry. And, but hey, if they can join some cause, some, uh, some, some group effort, some um, mass movement, that, that, that eases it. So what, what we're seeing today is a lot of people who are not satisfied with, with their lives because they don't have enough stuff, they're joining mass movements and they're gaining that camaraderie with other people. And they don't care, but they, they forget about the freedom. They're happy. They're getting their shot. They're getting their stuff. They're getting getting to uh, rip on the people they're envious of. And they're they're hoping that uh, those people are going to lose their stuff. Uh, people, they, they value their wealth and stuff. Uh, and they, they shouldn't be worried about what other people have. I think we, we live in a time when people are just so worried about what other people have. They're willing to give up. They're willing to forget the whole concept of freedom. So I think people, if you ask them a question, uh, do you value freedom? They'll say yes, but their actions are, are totally, totally different. They don't even know what freedom is anymore. Uh, I think they, they think that as long as I got something more than the other guy, uh, as long as the, the rich people are being uh, put in their place, uh, that, that's freedom. So I think, I think uh, what, what freedom truly is has been lost on, on the masses. I'll say that. Adam, uh, I would I would agree with you on most of that, and then I would I would throw in a disagreement in that, um, you know, I think people have a, a in, like intuitive sense of injustice and unfairness. Uh, like you can see toddlers, toddlers understand unfairness uh, when they see someone else get more stuff for less work and that kind of thing. So uh, uh, it's built into kind of who we are, and I think that we've had a system that perpetuates unfairness and this inequality and and but people haven't been able to quite put their finger on where it's coming from, but they just know that it's, it's some ethereal, something to do with America that's kind of uh, perpetuated it. And I think, you know, as Bitcoiners, we kind of can, can pinpoint it a little bit in terms of the Cantillon effect and, you know, uh, uh, money printing and all these kind of things that we like to, to harp on. But I think that what we're seeing really is, is a very human reaction to kind of a system that's been stacked against people. And they're looking to the same system then to create equality for them. Uh, and I think that that's kind of the mental trap that we're watching people fall into, which is that, you know, equality necessarily needs to be uh, 
you know, a bringing down of the rich to lift up the poor instead of a, a opening of opportunity and, and kind of access to the system for all people. And, and so I think that I agree that, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a human response. Like there's, there's definitely pent up emotion and, and you know, reason for this. Uh, but I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Of me or uh... <laughs> you, anyone, anyone. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say, I, I, if we, when you have true freedom, you're always going to have inequality. And I think people have to get used to that. Um, I, I don't worry about inequality. I, I just worry about making myself the best I can. And I, I think people have, have lost that concept. They're too worried about other people. They're too worried about these nebulous concepts called systems. And these systems become scapegoats for their own problems, okay? I don't believe in, in a system keeping me down. I don't, I don't believe in, I make my own system. I am my own cause. And I think people have to get this individual mindset and we won't have some of the issues that we have today. But I think naturally, the, the default is collectivism and the accomplishment is uh, individualism. So we're going we're to keep on seeing uh, people, I think, acting irrationally and, and worrying about inequality when inequality is just a, a totally normal thing that comes from true freedom. Doesn't that, yeah, you know, doesn't that kind of go in line with, with not knowing what freedom is and having a system that's just totally screwed that I mean, there are true individuals that are just working their ass off, just trying to get ahead. And because of the, the society that we're in and, and this culture that we've sort of created, they can't ever get ahead. And so that's where that frustration comes from. I think the response is not, it's lost. It's confusion. Like I was saying, like, they don't know, they don't know why they're mad. They don't know how to fix it. They don't know what freedom is, but they're angry. And they think that this government who is actually the cause of these issues is somehow going to fix it. So I think it's totally misplaced um, frustration, but I, I understand the frustration too, because as we all know, the financial system is totally stacked against individuals. Like the system is fucked um, and that's not shocking. So, I mean, I get it, but I think that sort of almost goes into the line with, they don't know what freedom is. Like they don't understand that freedom is truly living within your means and like not having to go work for somebody else and growing your own vegetables and just totally being self-sufficient like that's freedom to me and for a lot of people like that doesn't make any sense to them they've never experienced it they don't know so they have this delusion of what freedom is and they're mad and they're upset and they're being you know held down um but we can't like i don't think we can X out the fact that the system is stacked against us. I mean, that's that's sort of why we all are here, right? Like the financial system is fucked and we know it and we're we're kind of going a different direction because we understand it's the foundation of so many things. So I just, yeah, I think, I think you both are on really good points there, but I do think that what Adam's bringing up is true, but I think people are just so blinded that they don't even know what freedom is. So they are trying to go after what they think is freedom. They're just misguided. Yeah, to a lot of people, to a lot of people, freedom is just that, like, I get to do what I want. But uh, in reality, freedom is personal responsibility. It means I'm responsible, yeah. period. That's what freedom is. Absolutely. And most and people don't want responsibility. Under responsibility is uncomfortable and don't realize that's what, that's what comes with liberty. It's being fully responsible for you, your situation, your, your family, your, your livelihood. Like, I am responsible, but in that comes unbelievable potential when you take charge of that and when you say yeah i'm going to be charge of that i am going to deal with my life and my shit 
and uh, I'm not going to rely on somebody else. Or I'm when I do rely, when I do lean on somebody else, I'm going to take responsibility for that decision to do so. Because um, obviously we have to lean on each other all the time. But um, freedom is, I, th I think you could, I truly believe that freedom and responsibility are basically one and the same. I kind of want to pose this question to the group, but I've been thinking about what freedom is. And I think one of the strongest forms of freedom that I can think of is private key ownership. Yes. Like, yeah. if you have private key ownership, you know, you're like able to just unilaterally do whatever you'd like with any amount of wealth that you've earned, of course. Um, and you're kind of outside of all of the systems, right? You're just in the responsibility is completely on you. I don't know. Seems like a pretty good metaphor for freedom or. And no, it's a profound example of like that yeah. in application because uh, it comes with all the, all the problems and benefits of responsibility. Like yeah. having, being someone who deleted a set of keys for <laughs> a life-changing amount of money. I remember this story. Like, <laughs> like I, I, you know, like that is responsibility. That is, that is, I made those decisions. I took those actions, you know? Um, and like, that's absolutely, and, and Bitcoin is one of those things that is a straight codification of that. Like that's the whole sovereign individual investment thesis, right? Is that it's yours, it's you. There's no, there's no cheat codes, there's no authority, there's no bank to call, like there's nothing to do. Either you have that, that, that atom picked out of the universe, that, that secret key, or you don't. And if you lose it, there's nobody to call. Bitcoin gives you full responsibility. And if you screw that up, well, that's your responsibility, you know? So I want to jump- power comes great responsibility. It's terrifying for some people though. It is. People aren't ready for the responsibility. Oh, without doubt. Yeah. So I, I think like from the, from the overall question, it was like, do people value freedom? I think uh, like maybe the majority of people right now might say that they do, but they don't necessarily actually do like value freedom with their actions. But I do think that there is- a small and growing number of people that are actually taking actions. And I think the best way to do that is private key ownership, um, or at least the first thing that you can do maybe is private key ownership. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what makes me hopeful for the future is there's just like, you know, this, this growing uh, ecosystem or economy of people internationally, right? This isn't, um, you know, in one jurisdiction or another, it's all over the world, but yeah, it's people, taking control of that, of their freedom. I like how you uh, yeah. talked about Bitcoin the entire time without saying Bitcoin. Um, I want to jump to Lou. That's, uh, that's two sips I for you. I will, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I it's fine. Like... I, I drink, I drink <laughs> no matter what, so it doesn't actually matter for me. But I want to jump to Lewis here because... I mean, I'm I'm unconvinced whether or not I, I I'm still the jury's still out for me is whether or not Americans actually want freedom. But I think the people of Hong Kong want freedom, and I know that's home base for you. Um, can you give your perspective? Do the people of Hong Kong want freedom, or do they want comfort? And and what's your interpretation of that? Maybe if you expand it globally. Um. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I I'm not Hong Kong. I'm Taiwanese, so um, just clarify that. And um, we, what, what we saw in Hong Kong, we actually, are, Taiwanese are awake. Uh, we saw that in the January election. Equally applicable. Battle. Yeah. 
we, we saw that though know, we, we saw that on the news and we are not biased on you know towards the you know the communist party china we have two sides right we have two side party to debate on this and um and eventually we have a voting right and we successfully elect the uh pre-democracy president and and she's a great you know president um and uh she happens to have the, the biggest voting you know in the Taiwanese, you know, Taiwan history. Um, so that's a, quite a big deal. And what, what sparks that is, um, you know, what we see in Hong Kong and Hong Kong people um, definitely wants freedom. And, um, and the sad thing is, you know, I think China tried to kind of like distort the information from US. They try to see that, okay, you guys have, you know, protests, you guys have, you know, looting and so that stuff. All that stuff is bad, right? And so they have more reason to push through, um, you know, the national security law, uh, where just completely eliminated um, the one party two system. And, uh, and right now they could just, you know, the, the cops in, in Hong Kong, they could just you know, arrest anyone that tried to protest against um, you know, the government. Uh, that's quite crazy. And, we, and that is a great example um, that, you know, the China is showcasing that, um, you know, they, they are not pro-democracy, they are not pro-freedom. Um, and that will, you know, that kind of like scares a little bit for the, for, you know, Taiwanese people, because uh, we have been struggled between the, the battle and, um, you know, and we think that um, stuff happening in Hong Kong, uh, what might be happening in Taiwan, um, that's something we really um, are prepared for. Um, and I wish that doesn't happen. And uh, I think we have a strong sentiment right now in Taiwan that is free pro-democracy. And uh, we, are, we are not letting this to be, you know, give away, right? This is uh, something that we have fight for. Um, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's something to, you know, to take a look. Um, but versus, you know, the, the situation in America is just different, right? And um, what Hong Kong are fighting for is pure, you know, they, they want they want more uh, voice in the government and they don't have. Um, that's that's a that's a big difference. I think also too it's important to remember that historically I, I can't really think of a time in which the majority of people wanted freedom. It's always been a devoted, no questions asked, don't to, like don't don't love, drop the line at all minority that has enabled and secured freedom for everyone else um and inevitably people flock to freedom when it exists in the world because it produces extraordinary like staggering prosperity um but you know we go through these historical cycles of you know find freedom somewhere it gets flooded with people who are just there for uh, the profit and the prosperity and don't really care or understand the meaning of it. And then it gets corrupted and collapses and stuff, but always it's, it's that intransigent minority that actually makes it exist. Um, and, uh, I like to think that Bitcoin is a powerful force for creating that intransigent minority to secure, oh, sons of, to, uh, actually getting people to 
understand and for most importantly for that intransigent minority to secure their wealth extra nationally that they can move to they they can take their wealth to that place in the world and and they don't have to start over you know like that's a powerful new thing that just has never been it's never been a dynamic in the history of the world that someone could leave a country with you know memorizing 24 words and take the bulk of their wealth with them and rather than start from scratch yeah. start with a 30 percent haircut and basically leave off where you were i think i think that will be such a powerful force for freedom that it's it's just hard to imagine we're just we're just in transition and it's going to be shite for a long time before things start getting better Maybe, maybe soon, I can maybe. give you guys like why, what's the reason that, you know, I'm so bullish on Bitcoin is that, you know, when you are in that battle, right, uh, and the Chinese Communist Party can, you know, take um, martial law on, on Taiwan, you know, you, you are facing that risk. So where do you want to hide your wealth? So most of the Hong Kongers, Taiwanese, they already hide their wealth in, in somewhere, you know, holding dollar assets, right? Uh, and that's not enough because dollar assets, Sometimes dollar, you know, the voluntary policy of dollar effective assets, and it's not, it's not that valuable. And um, and Bitcoin kind of enable, uh, just like guys say, you know, you can send over the entire wealth through that um, vertical. It's it's quite amazing yeah, technology, and um, I think I don't see a lot of people understood that. Uh, most most people. Um, in, in Asia, they still think Bitcoin as a speculative thing. Um, they don't see the um, this, this mechanism that can store, you know, your whole entire wealth and, and move to somewhere else and carry with you. Um, and I think as the situation escalated, and uh, I, I think it might, um, people will have, you know, people need to understand the risk here and people need to understand where to store their wealth. Um, you cannot just Buy real estate because that could be destroyed. Um, you cannot buy gold because you cannot carry that. Um, the only option they have is either your own American assets, right, protected by the strong government. But I don't think that's enough either. Um, so Bitcoin really is the last kind of like um, stage that you will go to and find something that is completely different than other asset class. Anyone want to chime in after that? What are your thoughts, CK? I want to hear. Oh, man. Uh, I'm unconvinced that Americans really want freedom, but I am hopeful. I think the the riots, you know, showed at least what Brandon uh, uh, talked about, which is like this instinctive uh, attack against, uh, you know, obvious inequality. Um, I think, you know, BTC as a technology is something, and cryptocurrencies in general, is something to be really hopeful about. Uh, you can look at um, Alessandro and like the fact that institutions are done. Institutions are, are against the people, but yet they can rely on something that's just outside of the scope. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I, also, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that. though. I'm hopeful though. I think despite a yeah. lot of negatives, uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot to be hopeful about. I will add to this is that uh, this might trigger some people, but I think some Americans want communists, right? I think that's pretty weird. 
um, you know, you see on the social media, um, you know, my, my answer to them is why not you move to China? Right. That's it. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's a good answer. No, I think that I there is people. like there's there's a a lot. There's like this group of individuals, and I, I do I do want to say that I think that there is a silent majority. You know, right now people aren't really allowed to say what they want to say um, because of this insane cancel culture that's happening. So except I would say that <laughs> except for Adam. Um, and you know, you can't be canceled if you don't care. That's sort of my, my joke. Um, but yeah, I think that there is this like very loud group of individuals who seem to be fighting for communism. And that's sort of my response too, is like, there's plenty of places that you can go to, to experience that, like, go try it out first. <laughs> Let us know how that works out for you. Um, but I, I kind of am with CK, like, I don't know that Americans want freedom. I think that I'm gonna be blunt. I think that we are spoiled rotten. We've never had to fight for anything. We are a bunch of damn pussies. Um, and um, I don't know. I mean, I think that the majority of them just want, they wanna be given something. That's what they want. Um, but I do think that there True. is this True. core group. It is, oh my God, it's so depressing sometimes. But I think there is this core group of freedom fighters. And I do think, and by the way, CK, great use of BTC instead. I do think that there's the BTC community that really, like, I feel really, um, I feel really blessed to be around so many freedom loving individuals through this process, because there's days where I look at what's happening in the world or what information's being spread. And it's just, it's horrid. Um, so to actually be surrounded by so many people who get it and are fighting for freedom in this very, um, you know, peaceful way that's it's the peaceful revolution, I think is really powerful. Um, but I, I am not convinced that Americans want freedom currently. I think it's just, there's a lot of anger and they don't understand what's happening and they're lashing out. Um, and a lot of them are lashing out and begging for things that I think would actually hurt them more in the process. Um, which is unfortunate. So I, I'm not convinced either that they want freedom, but I do think there's a group that does. And I think that that group is very much represented here. Um, yeah, I mean, there's some, but so overall, I'm not sure. I'm not it's convinced It's very cyclical, either. right? Like it's the old saying, hard times create strong people, strong people create good times, good times create weak people, weak people create hard times. And it yep. just goes around and around. Yeah. Worth turning. So, uh, but Absolutely. Before we leave this topic, I want to kind of uh, uh, add a sympathetic view to kind of what's going on. Uh, I guess I'm going to be that guy in the conversation. But, you know, uh, I think that what we're seeing, too, is, is you know, my generation, I don't know how much older or younger that I am than anyone else here, but uh, uh, has been raised. Our first ability to understand the world uh, came right around 9-11. And uh, uh, our parents uh, treated us needing safety first and everything was about safety and i think that that sort of system you get raised in where uh you know you're taught that the world hates you and that uh you can get killed or kidnapped at any moment uh creates a weird psyche in your mind uh that that is very hard to quantify the results of until you're 22 25 you know 30 years old and you're uh, out protesting for the government to protect you from all ill wills uh so i think too you know, a lot of this really comes from uh, extemporaneous circumstances that, that really are, are tough to uh, 
tough to parse out from kind of the larger movement. And so I just wanted to throw that out there that I don't think people dislike freedom. I think people like freedom. That's the word I would use in general. People like freedom. Uh, but in order to love freedom, you have to understand that you don't have it. Uh, and so, so I just think that right now we're in this weird transient time where, where we're seeing a, a changing of the guard and with that comes different values. I think I find the, the thing that's so interesting to me about that is that, again, I think this is something that goes back to our communication networks and how unbelievably connected we are today. Because if you look at any like hard numbers, um, we, all of those risks are the lowest they've ever been. Like literally the lowest they've ever been. Violence is still, even with all this craziness going on, it's the lowest it's ever been. Like, like all of the stuff is in steep decline. If you look at like charts of the world, like prosperity is actually the best it's ever been, but we're seeing every terrible thing that happens is on video. Like, like we're seeing all of the bad things. And it was like something that was so easy to push into the background or just pretend it didn't exist or wasn't close to home. You know, it doesn't happen on my street. Therefore, it probably doesn't happen anywhere in the world. Now is in my feed on social media. It's, it's, it's in the Twitter feed, you know? Um, and 1.5 million people liked and retweeted it. And I think it's, it's just fascinating that somehow the more connected we are the more afraid and the and the closer we are to all of this violence the more we oh god there's a great quote i think it's from yeah yeah it's from it's from the road to serfdom it's uh uh is there a greater uh tragedy tragedy imaginable that in our efforts to shape the future that we would actually create the very thing we were striving to avoid. Um, and like, that's what I feel like we are in the midst of is that we're trying so desperately to control everything. And we're so scared. And that there's, there's a whole generation that grows up thinking that everything's dangerous and we're all about to be murdered. If, if you look the wrong way at the wrong time. And despite the fact that everything's getting better, we're, doing everything we can to put all the controls and the safety nets to get that comfort back. And we're actually creating the thing that we're afraid of. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, I feel like that is unfortunately where we are right now. Well, fear is, fear is such a powerful drug, really. I mean, it can be used to control so many yeah. different people and it really can completely warp your mindset and make you give up things that you would never think to. And so, I do think we have a society of terrified individuals and they're just searching for something and they're not even sure what. Um, so yeah, I, I, I sort of agree that like, I'm not, when the, all these protests started, I was very much a big supporter of it. Like I, I, that's great. You know, you should be standing up for your freedom. And then it took some weird turns <laughs> and you know, it was just a, but I do think that, that you're right. Like this is just, um, this is just the end result to the last, you know, 15 years of our lives and, and a society of what we've sort of, um, like what we've established. So I agree, but yes, I think fear is, is, is a tactic that's used, um, it's developed and then it's just used against us in every aspect. Um, 
All right, Absolutely. y'all. I want to jump in here. I'm I'm seeing some themes. Uh, I think David pointed it out right at the beginning of that 15, 20 minutes is uh, the fourth turning. Uh, strong men create uh, good times. Good times create uh, weak people, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I want to jump to the next topic here. Uh, potentially, some silver linings to uh, this COVID craziness is uh, is coronavirus speeding up BTC adoption. I want to go to first Rhea just because she's looking at all this on-chain analysis and then uh, go to, to Phil after Rhea. Um, it, have you seen, you know, is this good for Bitcoin, for, as they say? And cheers. Uh, I'll, take, I'll take two angles. In terms of the data, um, I recently looked at the number of addresses holding, let me pull it up actually. Um, certain amounts of Bitcoin and, okay, so addresses with between one to 10 Bitcoin peaked in the second quarter, addresses with 0.01 to one Bitcoin peaked in the second quarter and addresses with less than 0.01 Bitcoin peaked. And of course there's some, you know, that one of the caveats of looking at addresses is that people have multiple addresses. Um, so you, it's not like a one-to-one number of users, but if you see it directionally increasing, I think that's really positive. Um, and then also in terms of like institutional investors that are looking at this space, you know, we saw more and more like the spectrum of investors that we're talking to has expanded significantly in the last six months to one year. And then especially in the last like quarter or so, um, with everything going on with monetary and fiscal policy, um, with Paul Tudor Jones getting involved, like people, it, that that has eliminated some of the career risk. And I think at this point, if you're an institutional investor and you're not at least learning about this asset class, you're doing something wrong. Um, so both in terms of retail adoption and institutional adoption, I think we've seen significant progress uh, thanks, to, thanks to COVID. <laughs> that is the silver lining for Bitcoin. Cheers. Cheers. I counted like five Bitcoins there, so I'm going to hold okay. you to it. Uh, Phil. Finish the drink. Sure. So I, I like to look at the HODL waves when I kind of assess the landscape. And um, at this point, you know, we're seeing addresses that have just been sitting with balances in them um, and not moving for over Can a year. Can you explain HODL now, waves a little bit? Sorry. Yeah, sure. So HODL waves is a, is a view of the entire Bitcoin network. So it shows all, uh, it, it kind of visualizes all addresses and then it has age bands depending on how long Bitcoin has just been sitting in an address. And the age bands are broken up from sort of really short-term age bands to the really long-term ones. So, you know, greater than five years. So there's a, a decent percentage of all of the Bitcoin um, that is currently uh, available for private key spending has been, you know, just sitting for more than five years. I think something like 20%. Um, but what I like to look at is, is sort of lower down um, that uh, 12 month plus age band. So Bitcoin that has just been sitting in addresses for a year or longer, you know, that's about 60% of all of the Bitcoin out there. 
Um, and I think that's a really good sign. And the last time we saw the age bands kind of looking similarly was, I believe in 2015 or 2016. So it was right during, you know, right after the last halving, um, right before the next big run up. And it also just kind of shows that people are treating Bitcoin, Bitcoin oh shit, I just said the word, um, as like a long-term asset. Uh, so they're holding it and saving in it, which I think is really interesting. And so when, when I'm looking at the HODL waves, um, if I see certain age bands expanding, the longer term ones expanding, then I think, okay, I think the price is probably going to move upwards. Um, when you start to see those longer term age bands contracting, that's usually the, the top of a cycle. Uh, so that's why I really appreciate the, the HODL waves. And of HODL waves. I use, what's that? I, I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah. We use it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a really beautiful data visualization. Um, I forgot the second part of the question. I went off on a tangent there. No, you, you explained, uh, you explained HODL waves and then is coronavirus uh, accelerating BTC adoption? Based on holidays. Uh, time, time is accelerating Bitcoin adoption. <laughs> time and Bitcoin not dying it, it is, accelerates it, Bitcoin adoption. Is COVID a catalyst, though, based on what you're seeing? Yes, simply because of the actions taken by central banks around the world. So by inflating their currencies by you know, 20 30% over the course of, what, a couple months, um, they're seriously distorting the pricing function of that currency. And we're starting to already see ripples out into the general economy, right? If you go grocery shopping these days, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but here in Austin, I'm noticing that prices are about 20% higher for a lot of things. Um, and, you know, there's, there's certain items that are still not available. You know, we have empty shelves here in America for certain items. Um, that's not a good sign. So yes, I do think like COVID and the the uh, responses by major governments and central banks is ultimately good for Bitcoin. I'm also a little bit scared of of what the near term is going to look like. I want to jump to Another? Alessandro. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Uh, let, I want to jump to Alessandro just because uh, you have the international and even more uh, probably yeah. important is the the Venezuelan perspective. Yeah, so thank you very much for, for opening the space that way. Uh, it's actually uh, very ideal because uh, you, you all come from these parts of the world uh, where uh, maybe the chat behind Bitcoiners is, is it's, it's aimed more at its uh, how scarce Bitcoin is and uh, Bitcoin as a financial tool, uh, digital gold, an alternative investment for financial markets. But I come from the part of the world where you don't even see people with financial inclusion, right? Uh, so I um, first, when I started building Bitcoin Full Notes, I didn't know what was the right approach uh, to continue disseminating adoption for such devices inside Venezuela, for example. But I understand that it's very important for that part of Bitcoin that we focus on, that is the remittances part of Bitcoin. Uh, so for instance, I think that the best article that is out there that studies uh, Bitcoin volume inside uh, Venezuela and South America are the ones that Matt Olberg write, uh, wrote 
uh, and that he has published on usefultolips.org. They are very awesome. Um, so yes, I do think uh, I, I, it's very interesting how Bitcoin uh, has been this medium that has enabled and 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 gave the possibility uh, of birthing a new informal remittances industry inside not only Venezuela but Mexico and Colombia and Peru and Chile. And I have this bunch of friends that just built this amazing businesses out of Bitcoin remittances, literally, uh, uh, but only using Bitcoin uh, from behind, right? So, are you talking yeah. about value? B A L I U? I'm sorry, I, uh, internet connection is a little bad. Are you back. talking you about value? B A L I U? I know those guys, they're awesome. Also, yeah, AC, you got a drink, bro. Yeah, I, I there I have I have lots of friends. I mean, there's people that, for example, they live in Spain. Uh, they work in Spain, Barcelona, or Madrid. Expat Venezuelans, and those uh, that small amount of savings that they are able able to send back to the country, thirty uh, percent of that is being done uh, via either directly or indirectly, but using Bitcoin. That's it. Uh, I'm also. I also come from this special part of the world. You, uh, you guys know that that the government is trying to go all in on cryptocurrencies. Uh, so that so that also starts uh, creating new, very important use cases for for the industry overall. I don't know how much times I've said Bitcoin already, but uh, my glass is empty. I will need to refill it. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I just had to go refill my glass because I finished my beer. Someone yeah, needs I'm, to take over so I can have some time to refill. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, I just want to say uh, thank you for being here. You just reminded me. Um, I hadn't done my key check on my vault for like 78 <laughs> days. And I just <laughs> I just broke out my Trezor and my ledger to do my uh, multi-sig check. You mean so. the incessant nice. emails haven't gotten you to do it? Um, I so many emails i, I want to hit this only answer yours christian i want to i want to jump over to uh to david on this question i don't know if you have any uh special insights based on you know what uh crypto traders doing but um any signs that covid is pushing the bitcoin you know bitcoin adoption yeah um so we see the volume side of it more right and it no doubt um i was on the phone with one of the big exchanges a couple weeks ago, right? And they're seeing like 5X, the typical volume, at least they were a month ago. And so that's really good for us because everyone's getting more and more taxable events. Um, but in terms of like the price of Bitcoin or the number of people, I think for sure, it's harder for me to see that. I'll see it next year, right? Because people are doing their taxes from the last year. Um, but from the conversations that I've had with a lot of other players, yeah they've seen like an insane spike. I remember I was listening to CZ on Pomp's podcast the other day and he was like, they're just seeing going through insane growth right now just due to Corona. So like, there's no doubt. Yeah, they've really been uh, uh, nailing the message for us in the greater greater market right now. Uh, Lewis, what, what have you kind of seen? Um, so I, I've acquired a long-term investor. Um, I'm, I'm a holler. So, um, I see COVID as a noise, 
but uh, it's kind of like white swan, right? Kind of like trigger a lot of, you know, um, like ripple effect, like um, Federal Reserve printing money to solve this problem. Um, they just, that's a, that's a signal, right? Um, avoid everything about COVID. Um, the real signal for BTC is QE. Um, and when Fed start to print money, by Bitcoin. And uh, I, don't, I don't get into speculation a lot. I don't, you know, I, I look at some metrics, but uh, my, my ultimate goal is, um, is to hatch, right? Is to hatch the, the monetary policy that's been, you know, instructed by Fed. It's unprecedented. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the real, real deal. And the other thing will resolve by, um, you know, by, by some kind of force. I don't know what, what will happen in the next six months. Uh, things can become very crazy. Um, the only way you see this, how to play the situation is to, you know, stay in the hash position. And um, I, I'm long-term focused. I'm long-term bullish on Bitcoin. And, um, you know, um, that's why I started fund buying this. All right. I, I, quit a, I, quit a college, I, I quit college at a time and it was because of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, I want to jump to uh, the newest panelist who just jumped on, uh, Ray Youssef. What's up? We were talking about is the coronavirus uh, speeding up BTC adoption? And I saw on Twitter that you were mentioning Paxful volumes have increased since COVID became a thing. Do you want to give some of your insights to this conversation? Yes, sure. I don't have that much to offer, but we have grown by about 20 to 40% in volume, in number of trades, also in users that are joining. So it's clearly had an effect on things. I don't have any other numbers to give, but the future is very bright, guys. Everything's no matter what happens in the world, Bitcoin will always be here. Peer-to-peer -peer finance will be growing. I don't know how much the normal exchanges have grown, but I can say in peer-to-peer, -peer, the growth has been significant. I would like to think that peer-to-peer has -peer grown a lot more than conventional exchanges because, you know, when things like this happen, people turn to peer-to-peer -peer networks, especially people that are used to dealing in peer-to-peer, -peer, like Africans. You know, the African way is peer-to-peer, -peer, right? It just runs in their culture. So naturally, they take the path. Ray, do you have any insights around uh, what's been happening in Africa around, you know, kind of recent uh, world events? Um, Alessandro, above you, uh, El Sultan Bitcoin has been kind of giving us the South American perspective. In regards to COVID or just in general? Yeah, sure. I mean, like anything that, you know, us as Westerners, you know, maybe ignorant to um, around, you know, COVID way of life, how things have changed for them. Yeah, I can't speak about that because I haven't been there, but I am going to Rwanda soon. Rwanda just opened up and I encourage everyone, if you're dying to fly somewhere new, check out Rwanda right now. It's an amazing place. It's safe. It's super clean. The people are amazingly nice. It's civilized. There's hardly any corruption at all. Their president is an amazing guy. Paul Kagame is his name. And that's the reason why we built our first two schools in Rwanda. I don't have any insights on the ground though it's because i'm not there so <laughs> i'm just hearing things but can you i can't can, give any are international flights available in the u.s i haven't even investigated can is is that yeah you can fly yeah. okay okay 
I don't think, I think internationally you can fly you do in. The quarantine. You can fly in. Apparently, the U.S. is one of the easiest places to get into right now. Um, but you have to do like a right. But you have to do a, like a two-week quarantine somewhere. I think on the way back. I think uh, I could be. It's wrong. the same thing. There's, in there's the some. UK. Yeah, it's the same thing in the UK. No one checks, so you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah. One thing I was going to add in just about the silver lining, like I'm kind of with, with Lewis here, like I'm, I'm barely, I'm a horrible Bitcoiner because I don't even look at the price. I just buy often and hodl. Like I just, it's not, I'm not, I'm not speculating. I'm just, I'm long-term. Um, that makes you a true Bitcoiner, not a bad Bitcoiner. Bitcoiner. <laughs> I always joke that it's like, I have to look at Twitter to figure out the price. And if I have to go and actually search out the price, I get annoyed. Like I should just be able to glance and know what the price is. So I don't have to go look. Um, but one thing that I've noticed in, right, exactly. <laughs> one thing I've noticed, no, you're good in this situation is that there seemed to be a, a click in my normie, um, individuals around me where it was like they had this moment of of that whole well if the government can just print <laughs> as much money as they want when they want to you know why are we paying taxes and what does that do to my savings that I've been holding and so you know every time they print it's devaluing the funds that you hold and so I think that if anything like I really hate to say that there's been a silver lining out of this insanity but I think that that has really opened a lot of people's eyes is that this idea of this nonstop printing has made normal individuals who maybe hadn't really thought about it go, wait a minute, like this doesn't, this doesn't click, like this is really not good for me and the savings that I've been, you know, spending my whole life on. Um, so I just wanted to throw that in. I know it was kind of touched on a little bit, but that's something I've seen in my life actually quite a bit with conversations happening about the nonstop printing of the Fed and that 21 million cap looks pretty great. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's amazing when you think about it in terms of what's happening in the world. So I wanted to throw that in. So I want to change the subject slightly. Uh, next is kind of like all of us, you know, whether we agree with it or not, we're all kind of on Bitcoin Twitter and we're all experiencing the information distribution through our network of Bitcoiners. And I think that has given us, relatively speaking, very unique and maybe unpopular opinions about what's happening around us. Um, what are your takes on the Bitcoiner versus mainstream narrative about what's happening right now? Um, I, I see a lot of smiling happening from Adam. Why don't, why don't you jump in first? Well, at first, I thought all the Bitcoiners were going to be individuals about this and not go follow the government party line. But there is a significant percentage of Bitcoiners who are doing exactly what the government wants them to do, who panicked, who bought into the hysteria. I was so I was disappointed. I was shocked. I was shocked by some of the people out there, the things that they, they've said in, in terms of agreeing with all the you know, they were big anti-government beforehand. All of a sudden, they're they're for the government. They're spouting the government line. They're they're scared. It just shows you what fear can do to people that you think have conviction uh, and are, are individuals. I mean, they they run to daddy government when they when they get scared. So I I some some Bitcoiners have been really hardcore about the whole, whole thing and have you know been kind of like me I guess just you know say, saying what you believe, keep on speaking the truth. Uh, but there there's some people that are just like. Oh my God, I, I'm so shocked. Um, they are, yeah, they, they're really loving their quarantines, <laughs> to say the least. 
AC, go. So what I would like to say is that, is that sometimes us Bitcoiners, we forget how important our our duty is to continue educating people because uh, that's we hold a kind of power in ourselves and that's the power of knowledge because if you know about Bitcoin, you truly understand something about it is because you taught yourself that. Um, there is not so much information, for example, in Spanish. Uh, to continue reducing the learning curve that it's very expansive for people to understand about Bitcoin. I, I can be this very huge advocate from Venezuela, but I'm a very atypical, uh, atypical use case from my country. Uh, but, I'm a, but I'm very positive with what everything uh, that's, that, that makes up the Bitcoin community inside the internet, has, uh, what we have achieved. Because, for example, the other day I was talking to uh, when I was hosted by Brady on Citizen Bitcoin at the end, and that was not recorded. He told me you should definitely talk to Ray Yusuf if you have not talked to him. And that was just part of when I was starting going live. Now I'm here after Citizen Bitcoin, after, after Stefan Levera, after Max Geyser, after the Kivan podcast, seeing Ray Yusuf having some drinks with part of the community. So I think it's beautiful. Uh, I think we've achieved a thing that has made uh, a part of the internet interesting again. YouTube was interested, interesting when it was first launched. Now it's just terrible, man, okay? It's terrible. Those ads and all that. So I think, again, uh, hope, hope, and it's art. It's Bitcoin, it's art inside the internet. Ray, do you want to jump on that since uh, you got the shout out? The the Bitcoiner, you're unmuted, but the Bitcoiner narrative versus the mainstream narrative about uh, COVID. Yeah, I appreciate the shout out, brother. Um, you know, being a CEO right now, I have to be kind of a good boy. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of stuff in my mind that I would like to let out. Believe me, I fell down yeah. the rabbit hole about seven years ago. And I kept falling level after level after level after level until I was just in freaking bizarro world. So if I were to reveal what's in my head, I think everyone would run, even maybe even some of you guys. I don't know. So I'm just going to be quiet and be a good boy about this, but I'll just put it out there that the best thing that I learned from you know falling down all those levels of the rabbit hole, I can sum it up in one simple rule. And it's the 180 degree rule. Just watch CNN. Everything they say is true. Just apply the 180 degree rule. And it's always a 180. <laughs> That's all I got to say. All right. Uh, Rio, so, you want to chime in? All right. who, who wants to go next? Brandon? Let, let, me, let me just add something to the conversation here. Uh, uh, I think that, you know, AC brings up a good point that, uh, you know, one of the things that's formed around Bitcoin is a true meritocracy of ideas that, you know, people don't get megaphones in this space because of some sort of cachet they already had. You know, you really have to earn the the mouthpiece that you have, uh, and and by doing that, you know, we've in some ways really elevated the conversation around all sorts of topics outside of Bitcoin and, of course, Bitcoin itself. Um, I will also say, you know, an interesting progression, specifically in the lens of coronavirus, has been, uh, uh, you know, Bitcoin is just one of the first people to to like sound the alarm around uh, coronavirus, uh, and so. You know, when it was not being talked about, when it was being annoyed and uh, ignored and downplayed, 
you know, you heard Balaji and uh, others, you know, really say, you know, watch out, uh, this, this thing is a big deal. And uh, I think once the data has kind of become clearer, you've seen Bitcoiners kind of take the, the opposite approach, uh, almost as the mainstream media turned their attention to the, the virus, you kind of saw Bitcoiners all of a sudden say, well, it's not that big of a deal, right? Uh, and, you know, what I would caution or bring up or question would be, you know, how much of the it's not that big of a deal came from true, uh, uh, clear data that's come out that's been against it versus kind of the whiplash of seeing the media then then jump on it so heavily and just knowing like intrinsically that that's something that's generally wrong and and like now we're going to challenge what they're saying so i don't know if that's true uh but i would just you know throw that out as something to chew on uh when we're kind of digesting this topic i want to hear from ria next um bitcoin versus mainstream i think it's converging more and more because like monetary and fiscal actions now are so explicit that you can't ignore it anymore and like more and more mainstream media reporters journalists analysts whatever are talking about and including gold and bitcoin in their analysis of what's going on in the world like the newsletters that i read on like traditional markets more and more regularly have commentary on bitcoin um and gold and so on. So I think it's converging. Um, I think it, it's it's impossible to ignore the implications of what's happening in the world in response to COVID. Who wants to jump in next? And Ria, guy was keeping track, and that was that was two B words. We hope- <laughs> um, can I jump in next? Yeah, go Phil. All right. So so I think uh, first of all, let's. Let's define Bitcoiner. Um, so my definition of Bitcoiner is anybody who has any amount of Bitcoin. So, you know, Vitalik Buterin, massive Bitcoiner, the EOS guys, huge Bitcoiners. Um, pretty much everybody who has their own cryptocurrency, massive Bitcoiner. So the reason I, I define us like that is because it truly is the money of enemies, right? It doesn't give any sort of individual an advantage over anyone else. Um, And as a result, there's a ton of different opinions and perspectives. Um, So I think some of them follow along the same lines as mainstream media. Others are are very extreme in the way that they're um, kind of handling information. So I think it's just good to, to kind of broadly define Bitcoiner as just anyone that has Bitcoin. It also drives people crazy too. Like if you say, <laughs> hey, hey, Big V, you're a Bitcoiner. That's my favorite troll of the altcoiners, but- um... yeah. <laughs> They're all Bitcoiners. <laughs> so who wants to chime in on this? We have a few people who haven't spoken yet. I wanted to say one thing just about the difference between uh, something that Rhea said that I thought was really interesting was, um, is that kind of the cracks in the financial system are spreading everywhere like they're they're crossing against all the communities you know like all all the all the split narratives that we have all over the place and everybody's you know freaking out and trying to figure out what the hell's going on in the world the one thing that everybody kind of agrees on whether or not they have any idea where or why it's happening is that something's really wrong with our financial and monetary system um and uh, i think that lends to the uh 
strength of the simplicity of what Bitcoin is when you start looking at it. Just 21 million, 21 million, we're done, 21 million. Oh, that's one, I got one, okay, one drink so far. Oh, two. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing that I find fascinating um, is that uh, BTCers can actually have a conversation about it. Like we're disagreeing about COVID and stuff all the time about whether the government should do this and this, but we're, we can actually have a conversation without stabbing each other. Like, like we're, we're still, we're still BTCers at the end of the day. Um, like, like I, I disagree, like even in like the, the telegram crew or whatever that I got, we heated debates, like going back and forth. And then it's just like, I love you. Stats, stats. You know, you just like, like we can actually have a conversation and that's something that's broken down everywhere else is that there's nothing to hold them together. And the, comp the conversation is a joke. It's not a conversation anywhere. It's just an attack. Um, and I kind of love that we can disagree. Like, I think that's a wonderful and beautiful thing that we can disagree and get over it because we have something more important to worry about. No, we can't. <laughs> well, isn't that that personal freedom thing? Like many people in this space, even though they have very different views, I think Phil brings up a great point is if anything, this showed me that Bitcoiners don't really all have the same political views. And I think that before maybe I thought they did. Um, <laughs> but like there's a there's a very big variety of what people think. But I, I think we all have this individual freedom, love for individual freedoms there. So it's like, okay, well, as long as you're not affecting me, you can you can think whatever you want as long as you don't cross that line. You know, your your rights are your rights, just don't affect mine. Um, so I do think that that's why we can all have these conversations where, no, I disagree with you on absolutely everything other than the financial security of, you know what, but as long as you're not infringing on my rights, who cares? Not that it's who cares, but it's not like this hateful, how dare you, the fact that you're having a different opinion than me is a personal attack on me, which seems to be what we're all being like bombarded with lately. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I forget who brought it up though, but the early information for COVID was really important. I mean, I started kind of, uh, prepping in February and therefore I, I didn't have any of these problems when the shelves were empty and that, like, that was really beneficial at the beginning of this is we have so many really intelligent voices in the space that were speaking of it. Um, and so I, I find it really beneficial and I do actually like the variety because if everybody agrees, you know, you're not doing something right. So. The world's boring if everybody thinks the same crap. It's so boring. Yeah, so we're, boring. We're, we're about to cross the two-hour mark, so this has been quite the rip. If anyone needs to leave, please ping the chat so I can give you your last word. Uh, I'm going to move us on to our next topic, which is predictions for the second half of the year. Um, I saw Ray yawning, so I don't know if he's peacing out. I know he's, uh, he's over on the other side of the world. Ray, do you want to jump in on second half predictions? Or he's in the bathroom. I think he went to go. He's he yeah, went to yeah. go get a drink. Yeah, yeah. I called, I went, him, I, I called him, him out when he was away. <laughs> oh, here we go. Well, great. Yeah. Second half predictions. Second half of the year. That was you want to know. Yeah. Um, I yeah. Don't have any, any insights? Peer to peer is going to keep growing, and uh, I'll put out a big one here. I think within two years, peer to peer volume. In fact, I know within two years, peer to peer volume will flip in centralized exchange volume. You heard it here first. Call me crazy. They called me crazy four years ago when I started talking about Africa and Bitcoin. 
They were like, these Africans make $2 a day. They'll never figure it out. And now Africa's leading in Google searches, number of new users, number of transactions, and they pumped up the volume. So we're just starting to see things change right now. We've been working at this for 11 years, us as a community. And everyone on this podcast, you guys are all OGs. You believe in this. You know, we have to deal with this wave of ICO scammers and all this BS, but we're all <laughs> still here. And it's happening, finally happening. These next two years are going to be a wild ride. The whole world's going to flip upside down, including crypto world. Can't hear you. That's a Sorry, great thank prediction. Thank you for that. I would love to That's, see P2P uh, blowing up. Um, I want to go to Ria. Ria, I know you have to jam soon. Um, let's get your second half prediction, and then you can follow that up with any of your last words to kind of close it out for, for your time on Drinks and Quarantine. Sure. Um, second half predictions. I think, you know, in the first half of the year, we had all this craziness in traditional markets. People were trying to get a handle on what's going on with COVID. Um, but simultaneously, they realized that they need to start thinking about Bitcoin. So I think we're going to see the allocations to Bitcoin over the next six to 12 months increase significantly based on the, some of the conversations that we've been having. Um, so excited about that. I know I said the B word a lot of times, so I'll drink. <laughs> you can say it as long as um, it's bullish. Let's go. <laughs> um, it's been so awesome to meet and chat with a lot of you guys for the first time. Thank you so much for inviting me on. Um, you can reach me on Twitter at Rhea Vittoria, my name. Um, all the research that I publish is really available on our website, melodydigitalassets.com. Um, and I look forward to building this relationship with you guys more. Thank you. Peace. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And you don't rush to jump off, but you're welcome to jump it off whenever you want. Um, who wants to go next on second half predictions? Uh, I would say it's sort of in the same stance as Ray Yusuf because I come from Venezuela and I just spoke about the remittances and the P2P volume. Uh, Venezuela being the harbor for South America uh, through local Bitcoins for Bitcoin volume. And it just continues incre increasing here, Mexico, Colombia, Argentina. So from that perspective, I'm very bullish uh, on Bitcoin. And yeah, with the whole halving in the middle, and what is happening, look, and you know, I'm actually uh, at a hardware and IT services level behind Bitcoin, but yes, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin's price for, for the second half of the year. And then I, I'll have to jump out, guys. Thank you very much for, for having me, for hosting me here, uh, for sharing. I think sharing is important. It's a new philosophy of life and it's a new generational philosophy, right, Brian BTC? Uh, so... Look, you guys, love you. Love you all. Follow me on Twitter, El Sultan Bitcoin. Peace. That is Sultan. Adios. All right, David, you got some second right. half predictions for us? Yeah, yep. Um, so the biggest thing we're seeing is just how much the DeFi, it's such a buzzword right now, but it really is just growing so fast and just the lending space margin derivatives, right? Everything that's fueled from all this, um, you know, short selling behavior that, you know, these chains are really fueling right now. Um, so I think we're going to continue to see that like crazy accelerate. Um, 
we just see so many people every day coming in needing more tax support with their loans, margin trading, DeFi stuff. Um, so that's the big one for us. Uh, again, I echo the sentiment. I appreciate everyone jumping on. If anyone needs to last minute file their capital gains or reduce their taxes by filing capital losses, come check us out at CryptoTrader.tax. Awesome. A lot more trading going on. Um, Phil, you got any, uh, you got any predictions for us, man? Well, I was just taking a look at the historical prices and it looks like the last two bull runs happened, uh, during Q3 and Q4. Um, so we're going to the moon. That's a prediction. Um, yeah, I think the first half of at least, um, this year so far for, for us at Unchained has been, um, you know, our best two quarters ever. Um, so to echo kind of the sentiment of some of the other people who have spoken, you know, we're seeing an increase in adoption. Um, we're seeing a lot of new interest, uh, you know, from, from people who are um, trying to get into Bitcoin for the first time, uh, want to take control of their private keys. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think if we continue on this trajectory and I see no reason why we wouldn't continue on this trajectory, um, we're going to see some, some craziness uh, for the rest of the year. Cool. Who's next? Adam, you look ready. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll go. Uh, the rest of the year, I, I don't like to make uh, exact price predictions. That's uh, that's clickbait stuff. Uh, I will say this. I think the, uh, it'll resemble, uh, it'll resemble the end of 2016, you know, a gradual, a gradual buildup until, uh, to, till you get to a glorious new year. And I think uh, 2021 will resemble 2017. I'm a big fan of the 210,000 block theory. You take any moment in time and you subtract 210,000 blocks uh, and, and the BTC is worth more than it, it was in terms of fiat. Uh, so uh, usually you, you add, uh, add 210,000 blocks to the all-time high date and that's about October of uh, 2021. We'll see uh, if, if the theory, if it, if it holds true. Because right now you take any date in time, you subtract 210,000 blocks, and yes, it, it, BTC is worth more. We'll see if that trend continues. I believe it, it will continue. I want to say in terms of, uh, we were talking about uh, DeFi. DeFi is definitely the buzz, the buzzword, uh, I think, uh, probably in Silicon Valley. I, I know a lot of people from there that are talking. I'm not there, but people from there seem to be talking about it a lot. There's a lot of guys on crypto Twitter who try to downplay it and say, uh, it's nothing, but it's the DeFi thing is going to be bigger than the ICO thing. And this will probably be uh, next year, though, I, I think. Uh, we'll, we'll see a, uh, a DeFi pumpage that'll be very much like the ICO uh, pumpage of 2017. Also, for this year, in terms of uh, current events, we still have the elections uh, and uh, that are going to happen in November. And we've had two really big events here. We've had the virus and then we've had the, the riots. And so people have asked, like, can there be a third thing? And unfortunately, I believe, yeah, there, there could be a third thing. And it, it might involve the elections and who, who knows. But I would just tell Billions. everyone, for, I would, it could be that. I, I would just say for the second half, just, just brace yourself for something just as uh, buzzworthy or uh, uh, media hyped as, as the other two things. They, they will try to 
create some hysteria out of a third. There's a chance there'll be a third something that they will create even a bigger hysteria out of. So just th- there you go. Second half. Take so care. Who, who hasn't given predictions? <laughs> Lewis, Guy, and Bran? Is that Justine? Have you given a prediction? No? Okay, okay, we got a few. All right, let's Would jump. You- Let's my see. price prediction no no just it, okay. it can be any any prediction justine why don't you jump in then i want to go to brand but just any prediction for the oh, second was, half of the year okay i was gonna make a joke about how i should not do price predictions because i don't even look at it um no i mean this year is just insane like it's I'm not really sure. I think that at this point, I'm just trying to survive 2020 and I really want to travel. And I'm really sad that I haven't seen all these Bitcoiners because I had all these conferences planned this year. And so I'm really just wanting us to get through this so that I can travel again. But as far as predictions, I think that as far as Bitcoin goes, with the complete collapse of the financial system that we're seeing in this giant bubble, like it's it's gonna do things, right? Um, my method is just stack often and and hold it um, because yeah, shit's gonna hit the fan eventually. But as far as the rest of the year, I, I just think it's one of these strange years that we're all trying to get through. And yeah, we, we haven't even gotten to the election yet and election years are insane on its own. So I don't really have any predictions. I think, um, <sighs> don't get too blinded from all the things you see shoved in your face. Kind of, I keep, I keep trying to remind myself and I keep trying to do it on Twitter too, of like, look at your community, get involved in your community, look at your Bitcoiners, you know, and and try to focus on what's actually happening and what's not what they're trying to scare you with. I don't really have predictions. Um, I'm just holding on for dear life. (laughs) So, and I'm just really glad to be here with you all. The, The other definition of HODL. All right, Bran. Uh, oh, I love get. I love to give predictions. I love to be, uh, you know, stick my neck out there and throw some numbers on them too. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'll be the fool here. Let's say all-time highs by the end of the year uh, for Bitcoin. I think that's very much within reach. I could also see, you know, uh, uh, breaking through 10k to like 15k by mid next month. So, you know, I'm I'm seeing some real compression in the spring. So. Bitcoin, I'm super bullish on. Uh, uh, Larger scale, you know, I was going to hit on the election too, but from a different uh, perspective, I think the the black swan may have just hit. Uh, Kanye West uh, uh, running for president, I think is such a a game changer. Uh, If he ends up, you know, filing and everything like that, like, uh, man, you know, talk about throwing some, mixing the, the pot a little bit. Uh, I have, I think that has huge implications on everything political. I'm not going to say he's going to win, uh, but I will say that watching the media treat his candidacy is like watching the media in 2016. And, uh, you know, I just wouldn't put anything past uh, we Americans in terms of our need for entertainment. So, you know, that's that's probably my most pessimistic view on society that I'll give tonight. But uh, I would, you know, you want to talk about crazy things that happened in 2020. What would take the cake more than a Kanye West uh, winning the presidency? So, you know, let's Bitcoiner. just throw that out there. He is a Bitcoiner. I mean, it's not yeah. terrible for us as Bitcoiners, but Every, really be, uh, everything is crazy. good for Bitcoin, right? All right, Lewis, what, what are your predictions here? Um, I chose not make a prediction, but this is my view. I think uh, we are, I mean, we are, you know, in a, in a kind of um, a wall between uh, US and China. Uh, I think that will play, you know, I think that will end by the end of the year or, or uh, first quarter next year. I think this will end quite rapidly. 
uh, and things will escalate very quick uh, between this tension between U.S. and China. And I think U.S. election, you know, uh, kind of like it's it's it's, um, it's a it's a mirror uh, in terms of like uh, if if there's a pro democracy candidate or um, get get elected, uh, this would resolve a lot of things. I think America are in some kind of internal struggle, and that internal struggle kind of like manifests in the worldwide, um, and 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 that's within the you know the zone of the U.S. versus China. Um, I think you will see that continue to play out. Um, I think um, the government around the world, especially U.S., especially China, when they in some kind of war zone, um, they just gonna print, and um, all the assets gone is, is going to really, really high. And um, I don't think anyone will be, you know, sitting in, in large, large cash. I think people will uh, formal buy a lot of assets that is actually, you know, really scarce. Um, so. I'm very, very bullish right now. Um, not, not for a stock market, but stock market will go up eventually. And um, I'm not, you know, I'm not really bullish on DeFi. Uh, I think that, you know, structure-wise could crumble down when, when something enormous happened. Uh, we, we need to prepare for that, right? There's, there will be some kind of events might happen in the next couple months that will trigger um, a lot of market sell-off. Um, but when, when there's a sell-off, there's a lot of body session around and start to push the price up again. So um, I think we will have a very volatile market, uh, but it's kind of like trending upward as you know people, central bank keep printing money. Um, so overall, I'm, I'm very bearish on the real economy, but the price, you know, it's all denominated in in, in fiat. Uh, I think it's going to um, going to sky high. All right. Um... Guy, maybe you can give us some predictions, and then for everyone else, uh, you can. We, we'll end with the last word and close out the show. All right, sounds good. Um, I think uh, my prediction is that I will have no less than five uh, people from. I kind of have like two worlds. I have Twitter and like the Bitcoin uh, drink, um, the the BTC space uh, that. Uh, is kind of this whole separate world from my family and friends from high school and like all this stuff. It's, it's, it's a whole different world, but uh, I, I think that by the end of the year, I'll have at least five people contact me that I have not talked to in a very long time asking me how to get a hold of some BTC. Um, that's uh, as far as the price, I kind of think we'll see an all time high. For, for the year is out. Um, I'm, I'm feeling really good about the remainder of this year. Uh, I really hope that we have a hype cycle in 2021, just because it would be, it would just be a beautiful thing that the 21st year of this century uh, happened with a, a wonderful uh, culmination of everyone finding out and uh, getting into BTC. Um, and uh since everybody brought up the election, I couldn't come up with a better example of how silly the idea is that um, the government is a responsible, competent institution that represents the people as the fact that we have senile Joe Biden and arrogant asswipe Trump as our only two options. And I wasn't planning on voting, but I might vote for Kanye just to see what the hell happens. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's 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 uh that's my position on that. All right, I love these predictions. Everyone's staying quite humble. Um, all right, well, let's move on to last word and close it out. Ray, I'm curious, what time is it? I'm, I don't even know where you are. I know uh, Paxful's in Estonia most of the time, but uh, wherever you are, what time is it? It looks like you're, you're, you're fighting to stay with us. Yeah, it's 3 in the morning. I'm in London right now, but we work really long hours at Paxful. Me and my co-founder, I don't know when he sleeps, honestly. So I'm all right. Well, um, what, what, this is the last segment. So this is the last word. You can just really give the audience any message that you have. Uh, thanks for jumping on at, at this early hour uh, in London. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I'll just uh, add something to what Adam said. Uh, I think he made some really good points. You know, the, the guys that work in these think tanks, you know, they're paid all day to come up with diabolical plans, right? And they integrate business into it as well. So all the people down the pyramid can make money, right? But let's remember there's how many letters are there in the English alphabet? 26. They're on the letter like G right now. G was COVID. F is Black Lives Matter. What's next? There's a lot more letters in the alphabet. So Bitcoiners know to expect more shenanigans, right? But no matter what happens, no matter what they do, as long as we keep our heads on straight, we can do very well. And remember, our mission at the end of the day is to make the people that need it most wealthy and eventually to make everyone wealthy, right? That happens by free trade, by free markets, by good business. This is essentially what we want to promote. That's why we're here. So the future is bright, even though it looks a little bit bleak right now. I'm still waiting for the gyms to open up, but we have a great community here, guys. Bitcoin is, I think, the most... I think it's the most powerful, most legitimate and real social movement that has happened in the past hundred years. And I say that because it is actually having a direct effect on the pillar of power that the bad guys took first, which was the control of the money. With control of the money, you can buy media control. With media control, you can control the people and thus you can buy political control and control the militaries of the world. We call Paxful Paxful because Pax means peace. An honest money system can give us a more peaceful world because none of us here want to go to war. We're good people, we want to have good experiences, have children, you know, do well in life. That's it, and we can have it. Just keep going down this road, guys. The future is very, very bright, and I am very bullish as well. Amen to that. You can always count on Ray to, uh, to bring some enlightenment into the conversation. All right, let's jump to last word from Adam Meister. All right, guys, you can find me at TechBalt on Twitter, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Find me YouTube, Bitcoin Meister. Just type in disruptmeister.com. You'll find me. Uh, my final words are just uh, keep on being a unique beast, people. Don't be afraid to speak the truth because it's in totalitarian societies. Everyone ends up lying because they're just everyone's scared to speak the truth, the media is lying. So everybody else lies and you just, everyone's living a big lie. And don't let it become that. You're doing your part by just speaking the truth, putting yourself out there, keep, keep on doing it, people. We are living in a golden age. There is so much opportunity in this decade. I am, I am so bullish for this decade. Don't get down because the media is in hysterics. It, it, we are, we're so, it's so great to live during this period. Uh, where people are so comfortable that they can worry about a statue that they never have even seen before and think it's, it's you know, ruining them or something like that. We are just, 
there, but make the most of it, be in motion, take advantage of this golden age that we're living in and, and never get down, never get down, never give up. And that, that's my last words. Pound that like button. Boom. Pound that like button. Pound that subscribe button, y'all. All right, Phil. Hold your damn private keys. We've, we've been doing this for like 11 and a half years. You got your shit on Coinbase. <laughs> Why? Why is there shit on Coinbase? Take control of your private keys. Be free. Take control of your freedom by holding private keys. You want some help? We can help you at Unchained Cat. We can do some multi-sync together. It'll be great. You don't want bullish, help? Bullish, bullish, bullish capital, bullish. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't want help? Buy a Trezor, use Caravan. It's open source multi-sync, pretty easy. But at the end of the day, don't let someone else have your private keys. There's no need. Be sovereign individuals. ABC, never stop selling. Always be selling. That's what I meant, Lewis. All right. Last word, sir. Last word. Um, I don't know. I think uh, it's a great journey going down the rabbit hole. I mean, I, I've been, um, you know, I've been entrepreneur myself all the way since high, high school. Um, you know, um, stumbled upon Bitcoin, just an incredible journey. Um, fortunate enough to experience a lot of different stuff in life so early. Um, you know, I just, I feel like Bitcoin gave me the strength. Um, I can allow to do something I want, right? And you are allowed to do something you want if you have that strength in you. And Bitcoin really gives you the stuff um, because it gives you like kind of a stable voluntary um, that you can rely on and uh, not worried about, you know, the money printing and stuff. They're just so incredible, amazing. And uh, it kind of affects your psyche uh, when you do things. I, I'm incredibly fortunate. And um, I mean, this is a vast, um, I mean, era, right? This is a thing that, you know, solved the Byzantine general problem that haven't been solved ever. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm incredibly bullish. I, I think I will be here for like, by the end of my life, right? And uh, that's it. I mean, I, I want to see what's this going on like 50 years, not not just 10 years, like 50 years down the road. Like what will the world become because of this? Are we already in this 10 years, right? It's incredible. Um, just excited to see when I get old, you know, seeing my kids have my Bitcoin. You know, that's, that's an amazing thing. And uh, shout out to Unchain, right? They they get this real, right? In, in the past, you cannot even do that uh, with your family and stuff. And right now, you can just, you know, store that coin, pass down to the next generation. I mean, that's the, I, th I think that's a really beautiful thing. And, and you know, it, it, it make it very easy for wealth transfer. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm also glad that, you know, all the entrepreneurs out there building, um, to pass down and, and continue to build this infrastructure out. Um, they are the they are the true, um, you know, pioneer. Um, I think uh, shout out to all those founders and CEOs, right? Um, without them, we won't have this kind of more advanced uh, technology that we can have had a hand on right now. And even Bitcoin is not going to be used without those company. Um, really shout out to them, and um, I I really you know, looking for 
um, you know, next 10 years, 20 years, and still see you guys around here will be, will be super cool. Let's do it. Let's do it. Thank you very much, Lewis. So I want to go to Guy, and then we're going to end it with, with Justine, uh, the wonderful Miss Hoddle, to close it out. Um, so, Guy, what's your last word? You're muted. Uh, my, uh, my last word is to recommend for everybody to step back a little bit. Um, we're all so close to everything that happens. Um, every video we see and, you know, thing that comes across our screen. Um, like we're in the, we're in the process of a massive transition. Um, and, and I think this is ongoing for 30 years and we're, we're seeing pressure release for something really big. Um, and I think on the other side of this thing, it's going to be better. We just have to pay attention to what's happening while we're in the midst of it. Um, but I mean, there's so many changes that e even, even in what looks like so much negative, there's so many positive changes that I think like should have happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And we just never had the pressure to care. Um, I think we've hardened internet communities across the world. Um, I think we're closer. Here we are all on Zoom. Like, like the, the Zoom conversation has 50x in, you know, seven weeks. Like I just, and like we're, we're, finding, we're finding friends and social circles and stuff in a new space that a lot of people have avoided, that a lot of people have been afraid of. I think at the exact same time, we're also going more local. We're, we're realizing that we can't depend on our federal government, like that it's just kind of a crapshoot that we're, we're watching. So we know we got to get to know our neighbors. We got to like branch out. We got to do those things like with the local community that we have avoided for so long. Um, and education and homeschooling, like holy crap. If there ever was a bubble, education is it. Um, and I see, I see thousands of people talking about homeschooling and taking pits, not even being like, why do we even have public school that I never, ever would have thought would have had that conversation. Um, and these are conversations we should have had, but uh, it's a great, like Thomas Paine or whatever has that, like it's, it's as if we are a, a, a person who knows they needed to get something done, but they just kept going, oh, put it, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll wait, like, uh, just, you know, maybe, maybe if I just go to sleep, it will be done when I wake up. It's like, no, this is the period of time where we got to do it. Um, and, uh, listen to Bitcoin audible. <laughs> uh, there's i I'm sure there is an article out there that you wanted to read or haven't gotten to or something. I read one every single day out loud and commentate on it. I got over 400 now, just dropped 417 actually while we were chatting at the beginning of this episode, um, 510 ish odd episodes. Um, but, uh, uh all the insanity, <laughs> all the insanity aside, I think we're living in the greatest period of opportunity we've ever seen. Um, uh, it's not only that something new is being born, but all we've taken for granted for so long is having to shift into a new place. 
Um, and we should, we should see this as a hopeful thing. Yes, it might mean that we have to let go of a lot of things that we loved or were used to. Um, but in that, I think we're going to create so much new things. And I think this is, this is at the heart of it. Like, I think this is the, the, the essential center of where to be um, in that. That's why I'm here. Um, but, uh, you know, there's going to be, we're going to look back on this. This is going to be a profound time in history. Um, uh, this is the third wave coming into its own, if you've uh, read uh, Toffler. Um, so don't miss out on it just because it's easy to be depressed when you stare at Twitter all day. Yeah, Le- less Twitter is good for everyone. Um, Justine, less Twitter, have- more Mises. Justine, you have the floor. Uh, yeah. Let's. Why don't you close out the show? This was a great conversation, y'all. So thank you to everyone who's still here and for uh, everyone who was on earlier. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um, I think, I mean, I just, I kind of agree with all of you guys here. I think this could be a really amazing restart for a lot of individuals. Uh, we're questioning so many things. There's so many people, the homeschooling thing hits really close to home for me. Um, I think there's so much power in self-sovereignty and there's so much freedom there. And I think that people just have no idea. And I think that there's a there's an opportunity here to really restart our society in a way that is a much more healthier long-term and self-sovereignty goes into that. Bitcoin, of course, goes into that. I'll drink in a minute. Um, but the financial sovereignty, like the financial freedom, which is the foundation of so many things, goes into that. And I think that what we're seeing right now is a lot of people start to question it. And I think that's amazing. I think that's super powerful. Um, so I guess my, my closing notes would be, I kind of went through a totally different route. I was self-sovereign. I was trying to get the middleman out of as much as humanly possible. And then Bitcoin came later. So I'm a total normie when it comes to Bitcoin. And so I'm trying to learn as I go. And I guess I'm trying to show myself here too. So I'm trying to find my place, like where I can be beneficial other than just shit posting, because we all know how super beneficial that is. Um, so I'm trying to sort of learn as I go and, and help others. Um, teaching self-sovereignty has been something I've done in the past. So I'm trying to sort of navigate into helping individuals who maybe find it really intimidating, that financial freedom, um, to not be intimidated. Because I think there's just so much power, man. I mean, when you teach someone how to do something themselves and remove a middleman, it just sets them up for so much success going forward. Um, so that's something that I'm trying to experiment with a little bit. So if that happens, I'll make sure I show it somewhere. But I, I just think that this can be a really good restart. And I think that the money is is the central force of society and sort of restarting that can be huge. And I think we're seeing that. So I'm excited to see that. As far as everything else, this year has been rough. You know, Hold your loved ones, focus on the good. Um, use the opportunity to better yourself. Um, that's what I'm trying to do. So yeah, thanks for having me here. This has been super fun. Cheers. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm going to close it out.